It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Hey, happy Monday to ya! It's the 23rd of January, 2023. It's 12323. What a wonderful day. I don't know what that means. I'm just saying things. It's also, by the way, episode 400 of Your Morning Combat. Hi, I am one half of your hosting duo. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm from the uh, capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C., joined by the king of Connecticut. He's just, <laughs> he's talking about how many lunch ladies he's banged in his life by holding up the four-finger sign. It's my friend and yours. It's, <laughs> it's Brian Campbell. Well, Luke, What's of course, this was, this was for 400. I mean, this snuck up on us. I think we texted each yeah. other last night. It's like, holy crap, is it f- episode 400 tomorrow? I mean, what are we going to do for our people? How about nothing but give you your award-winning great content like we normally do, okay? How about that? But, uh, wow, thank you to everybody who has been along with us on this crazy journey from the bomb shelter to London, England. I mean, what a, wow, what a time to be alive. What a time to M freaking K, Luke. Yeah, baby. Wow, did you hear about our new merch too, Luke Thomas? You hear about that shit? We got some new merch uh, going up on the site, I think, now. We got a couple things, and they're rearranging some stuff last minute. But um, we have some merch like in honor of our UK visit, basically, up on the site right now. So you can go to morningcombat.store. And by the way, nothing's confirmed, but people have been asking, will you guys have merch to sell when you're in the UK? I don't have a confirmed 100% yes. But I know for a fact that the team is looking into it like literally today to get like a figure out a plan of how that could be possible. And if so, what we'll do. So um, it's looking pretty good is what I would say, BC. Right. That's fantastic. Yes. So you get your MK in the UK Union Jack shirt on there. Also uh, a brand new one, MK GTA, that uh, you're going to have to check out at morningcombat.store. That may be one of our finest to date from uh RJ Ballbagger over there in, uh, in in New Jersey there, but a big part of our team. Shout out to that man, Big Ray, just the same. Oh, uh, Luke, you know I feel I just I just feel happy to be alive here Monday morning. It was a it was a really entertaining pay per view in my opinion over the weekend. I agree. Um, yep, a uh, lot to talk about, both good and bad. Um, what are you wearing? An MK hoodie there? It looks like you have I like got one the of those. MK hoodie? Yeah, yeah. I got the oh, MK I wasn't hoodie. sure if you were trying to dog. cosplay you know I... as a druid or, or at all. No, no. You know I normally come in every day exhausted, but I'm like really tired today, dude. I got to tell you, it's tough, man, because you have to stay up late for these pay-per-views. So I had to do the pay-per-view uh, post-fight show on Saturday. Then I had to do the rundown for Monday because we have to have it in by a certain time. And then I had to record some extra stuff before I could go to bed. I didn't make it to bed till like 4, 4.30 
Um, and then, you know, I'm a dad. So my wife let me sleep in a little bit, but I got up at like 9.45, 10. But then the night before, I had to get up at 3 in the morning because, dude, I got this old dog. I told you I got the old dog. Remember the ice dog piss when it got cold outside? Yeah. Dude, she got stuck under – I don't even know how this is possible. She got stuck underneath the couch on Friday night at like 3 in the morning. So she woke me up yelping. So I had to go downstairs and then get her out and like put her in her bed and keep her calm. And then I didn't get the chance to like sleep. In. Dude, I'm tired as balls. Wow. You understand that? That's America's dad right there, Luke Thomas. Uh, good work, though, Luke. That's important work, okay? It's very I guess. Work, the dog's right? fine, if everyone's curious, and there's not much we can do about it. But uh, anyway, did you have a good weekend? Otherwise, BC, real quickly, how was Showbox on Friday? Got to say, I was watching. You guys sounded great on TV. And I will tell you, that main event freaking Woo! delivered, for, at least from the viewer's perspective. It definitely delivered. <clears throat> yeah, we're going to look at that on have you seen this shit later in the show. But... What a way to kick off the 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 2023 season of Showbox the New Generation. I mentioned on Friday six unbeaten fighters on the triple header, so that's like you know point proven on what this series is all about. But you said it, David Stevens and Sean Emphill, they you know they fought like the future of their careers were at stake, which sometimes can happen on Showbox because of how important it is when these young prospects face one another to figure out who's going that way and who's going that way, Luke and. To, to, to have a main event end with a KO with two seconds left in the final round when we weren't sure who was up on the scorecards. And that, you know, that's a tiny arena there at the Wind Creek Casino in Bethlehem. But the crowd just on top of the ring. It, uh, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, romantic and emotional here, but why I'm in this job? Moments like that. Mm-hmm. Moments like that. To be there standing, screaming into a microphone as the crowd's going apeshit, as two guys just went for it. Uh, no one got slapped either, Luke. What a night. What a night in combat sports. Yeah. You know, I'm s- I know, still feeling it. We got to get the show started, but I'll just say this too, man. I don't know what's going on down there in Texas, but Ronnie Shields can't miss. I mean, this Lately. fucking guy cannot Lately, yeah. miss. It's right, right now. And he walks into the room. He was there in D.C. too for the Davis and uh, Garcia fight. He walks in the room calm as a bomb, man. Like, he just has no concern in the world. You can see why, man. The game is he's really... he's seen it it's, all. It's, it's, it's quite amazing. Uh, all right, so I want to mention everything. You know, thumbs up on YouTube. Hit subscribe if you're joining us after uh, subscribing to the channel from, uh, excuse me, Saturday's post-fight show. Welcome. We do this three times a week. You can see all of our socials there. You can give us a follow. We told you about the store. Let's tell you about Showtime. By the way, today's the last day where this will be in effect for you. Showtime, 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can keep it. If not, go do something else. And if you sign up now, you can get $3.99 a month for just the first six months. Pretty nice deal, man. And that includes Bellator. That includes boxing and everything else Showtime makes. There's your deal. Go get it today. You can email the show, morningcombat.com at gmail.com, Friday's fan subs, Wednesday's dead wrongs, or just to reach the producers if you have something you want to talk to the show about. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. So let's just get the show started if we can. But first, BC, we got to remind folks about our partner, AG1. I have it all the time. It's great for many reasons, uh, BC. What's the best reason to take AG1? Well, look, you know, I, I can be bought easily with fancy packaging and sweet taste, but there's just something about this subtle citrus, clean taste that's different than I normally take in and allows me to start my day like exactly fresh, clean, which I don't always do. So I'm taking a scoop of the green magic powder, putting it in about eight ounces of water, stirring it up. And you want to talk about the vitamins, minerals, you know, health ingredients in there that may not be a part of your diet. This is like a cheat code in that regard. I feel great. It tastes great. And I start the day knowing I'm coming here to do two things, right? Lift some weights and co-host an award-winning show. 
You're lifting weights these days? What are you lifting? Yeah, you know, my doctor believes if I can, you know, lift for 20 minutes a day that I could uh, begin to, you know, rebuild enough testosterone and uh, continue to help my liver not fall off the side of the earth. He's right. Resistance training does all that good stuff. And you know what? Complimenting that with AG1, I think, is the right call. BC, what can you say? It's got whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, vitamins, minerals, and it all comes in one easy-to-carry-around packet if you're traveling or at home, just one scoop. Could not be simpler, correct? And, yeah, and you can take our point of view for it and how many times everyone in my house has been sick, but I'm still fighting through. Or you can ask 7,000 different people who went online, put a five-star review down on AG1. You can ask those leading health industry experts, too, like the Tim Ferrises of the world. You know, uh, who was the other guy, Luke? Joe Rogan? Michael Gervais. Michael Gervais. I mean, these are people that know what they're doing, Luke. And you know what they're doing? They're doing AG1, bro. They really are. By the way, lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy free, or gluten free, contains less than, as BC indicated, one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, or artificial anything while still tasting good. And BC, right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the flu and cold season. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. BC, how can folks get what we're giving them? Where can they go? Yeah, how about this website, athleticgreens.com slash morning combat. And here's what we're going to do for your first order. Our friends at AG1 are going to give you five free travel packs, which Luke and I use on the road regularly. I come to crave this stuff, Luke. Also going to give you a one-year supply of uh, vitamin D, Luke, immune-supporting. I put it in my AG1 every morning, just a little droplet. Uh, hey, not bad. You know, what about the Cliff's Notes version of good health? It starts right here with athletic grades. Who knows what it will lead to? You know what I'm saying, Luke? I certainly do. Of course. One more time, athleticgreens.com slash morning combat. All right, BC. With that in mind, let's get the party started here with topic number one. Obviously, today is a big day because it's the Monday following a UFC pay-per-view. So let's talk about the biggest UFC 283 headlines. We start, of course, with your main event, Jamal Hill. Defeated Glover Teixeira 50-44 on all three judges' scorecards, giving him, of course, not just the unanimous decision win, but as well, he now is the UFC light heavyweight champion. BC, even though he won, and I realize that folks may hear this, either watching this now or they're going to hear it on a podcast, I'm about to ask a loaded question, but it opens up the door for a lot of different conversations here. So BC, my first question to you, loaded as it may be, is even though he won, did he prove he's the best 205er on the planet? No, he certainly didn't do that. And, and how could he in one night in this situation? But I do want to echo the, the 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 spirit of what you're saying. I had a lot of misgivings about what could happen in this fight and what that would mean to the UFC's light heavyweight division, which, you know, we could all say it's been a little weird and bizarre lately with the draw and Uncle Iev and Blahowicz and, you know, Parotska getting hurt, John Jones being away for three years, all that stuff. I was worried that, you know, Glover would win and retire. Jamal Hill would win a disputed decision. We would end up, you know, going here. Okay, well, this sucks. The number seven guy just fought and didn't become the champion. Who's next? What are we going to do next? Instead, Luke, I I think I got what I wanted, which there's a very legitimate champion of the world here at 205 pounds under the UFC banner, and it's Jamal Hill. And it's like I'm tempted to lead off with how insane – the heart and chin, just stupidly insane, the heart and chin of Glover Teixeira because he nearly damn stole the show in defeat. But it's because Glover fought insanely, I mean, just courageously, just ridiculously, that it actually brought out 
every single category that Jamal Hill would have needed to do exactly this, climb the ladder at 205 and become the UFC champion. And he was pushed, even though it was a largely one-sided fight, he was pushed to the, to the near limit in a few of those categories, from cardio to takedown defense to getting out of submissions. I mean, across the board, Luke, he I, I may not be fully sure and we'll only know if he keeps defending this title where he actually figures in, you know, along with Prohatsko or Vadim Nemkov and Bellator or whoever else you like when it comes to the light the best light heavyweights in the world. But in terms of retaining that feel in the division that that, you know, if not the exact right guy, one of the right guys has the title. Jamal Hill jumped through my TV screen on Saturday night with that performance. And to see him break down in tears and be that emotional because of, I mean, what a whirlwind turnaround to get this opportunity and then to go there deep in hell with Glover and pass every single test across the board. Uh, you know, he's older than we think. He's 31 years old. A lot of times we think of Jamal Hill as just a newcomer. He was 11-1 and one coming in. But everything about this performance was mature. And I didn't necessarily see that coming even though I picked him to win. I assumed it would be more of, hey, they got into a war and, you know, he caught Glover, which is obviously not easy to do. Rumble did it. Very few have ever done that. But uh, what else can you say, Luke? There were many situations where if he wasn't fully ready, he would have gassed out. He would have been submitted. He would have whatever. He he had to earn it. And boy, was I glad that he had to, because now I know for sure this is one of the best light heavyweights in the world. And he's going to have a chance coming up to prove that he actually is just that the best. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I think on fight night, right after it was over during the post-fight show, I was like, you know, I don't know if he beats Ankalaev. Maybe he does, right? Like, I'm not, when I say when I say I don't know, I, I genuinely mean that. Like, I'm not expressing skepticism. I just can't award him the automatic victory. Let's see what happens if he fights Anthony Smith or or uh, returning Alexander Rakic or uh, Ankalaev or whoever. Whoever these guys end up fighting. He, and if Jamal Hill beats them all, then, I mean, that's, a, that's an incredibly impressive feat, and we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I did think on Saturday night, and we should say it too, we, and certainly me, we had expressed great skepticism about his ability to either defend the takedown or get up underneath or even survive under uh, Glover Teixeira if he was able to get the takedowns. And that just wasn't really true. He was able to defend everything. Body locks. He was able to defend trips. Double legs against the fence. Single legs with the left leg forward. Single legs with the right leg forward. It didn't really matter. He was able to stop 15 of 17 takedowns. Only two of 17 got through for Glover. And even on the ground, he was never necessarily overwhelmed. And a couple times he got out of the mount and was able to even reverse position and get on top. So if you just look at the the ability to build a game, it becomes survival, defend, attack. He not only had lights out defense, for the most part, he was able to turn, in certain cases, defense into offense. That's what you're really looking for. And again, he wasn't like, I'm not saying he's like, you know, an A-plus level grappler at this point. But defensively, you know, even though we got it wrong, it should also be noted Historically speaking, and this is not just true, this is true by a million miles, that was his best grappling performance for Jamal Hill ever, ever. He has never performed quite this well. He has had times where obviously people haven't been able to get takedowns, but Tiago Santos, I believe, got, I'll double check here in just a second, I believe Tiago Santos got almost six against him, right? And that was just a fight before, so it's not like this has been... You know, I think he, yes, I'm sure he steadily worked on his game, but he had a breakout performance in terms of his defense in that way. So I really thought this was a very, very strong, thorough, credible performance to your point, BC. He didn't gas. His striking was as good as we thought. I can't believe Glover didn't get knocked out. We should talk about that here for a second, BC. How amazed were you? How amazed were you that he was able to survive? Because honestly, I would not have thought if he had taken that much punishment. He'd well, still be standing. 
it's not just amazed, it's almost scared. And I saw some of that, you know, the human factor creeping in of like, you know, you could stop this after the fourth round. His eyes are cut, swollen, and a mess. He took, to your point, I mean, look, he may, he may have eaten seven, eight, nine knockout punches. Like, the, you know what I'm saying? Like the kind that finish folks of, of many different levels and abilities. And it's a refuse to lose that, that seriously was scary. Now, he showed that against Prohatska and took heavy trauma and eventually kind of just collapsed and it was like he was willing to give more but his body was done this time you heard him talk about it after the fight and i think you saw it if you watched the countdown and all the you know lead up to the fight he had no stone no corners cut no stone unturned i mean he came into the best freaking possible shape at 43 you ever could have to where his gas tank was stupid insane but you know his quotes after i was so happy he retired and and by the way, if he had won this fight, it's like he probably would have retired anyway as well. So we would mm-hmm. we would have been in the same spot of you know who's the real champion. But you know he said it best. He said I, I'm too tough for my own good. Like he's he was tough to a level that I was watching through my fingers a little bit down the stretch and really worried. You know what this was going to do to his retirement and the in the in all the great years he has left with his family because you can't ask for anything more than that from somebody giving their very best effort. I mean, look, I think you'll agree with me as much as the fight didn't even need to go to the fifth round and no one would have been upset. He goes, he goes for the takedown early in the fifth. He gets full mount. Forget about wondering when he's going to get knocked cold. Like when is the, when is that dog inside of him going to stop trying? He, he never gassed. He went to full mount and then he's still seemingly one clean punch away from staggering Hill the entire fight. We look, we have never, we've seen toughness on insane levels, you know, all across the board. We've seen so many inspirational, courageous performance. I don't think we've ever seen the full combination that we saw here because it wasn't just the willingness to endure pain. It was the stamina, which was just insane. That's why I love that he did that performance because we got to see how good Jamal Hill is, but I almost don't want to praise him this much because I think he he went too far. You fight like that on a regular basis, your career is going to last about three years. Yeah, I mean, I I described it on Saturday night. There's a term. Unfortunately, the origin of the term comes from dog fighting. But when it comes to human fighting, at least regulated human fighting, it it can be a valuable insight as well. There's a term called gameness. In fact, there used to be a company that made geese and other uh, jiu-jitsu gear called gameness. But the term gameness means pursuit of the fight despite the physical consequences. And, I mean, I just don't know how you could have much more gameness than what Glover Teixeira showed on Saturday. It was a losing effort in every way. To BC's point, the fifth round, even though it was kind of perfunctory to see him mount an offense, uh, and a good one, at least in theory anyway, at the very beginning of it, was just remarkable. It's completely remarkable. It, it was as if nothing was happening to him. He was never psychologically uh, deterred. And that was after a third round, BC. Dude, that third round, he took a beating, a beating, like getting dude, you stopped. Gone, you could have gone 10-8 in round three and four if you wanted to. Right, right. I mean, it was headed towards bad territory, and he somehow hung on because that's who he is. So to do all of that through 25, you know, and we'll get to the Lauren Murphy situation later, BC. I was, like, if they had thrown the towel, I would not have been mad. I guess you also can't be mad at them 
because they had to know that that was probably. I mean, the yeah. corner probably knew that was Glover's well, last fight. And did so, did you hear on the broadcast? They had Hackleman, who wasn't officially in the corner. John Hackleman running to the cage to try to tell the team, like, "Stop this! Stop this!" You know? Yes, yes, which is a big deal because John Hackleman's not like queasy in that way. If he's calling for it, it probably is pretty necessary. But either way. It's the last fight of his career. It's the last round of his career. It's in a championship fight. I guess let him go out there, right? I guess that's the idea. Um, but I also tweeted this on Saturday night, too. Like, no shade whatsoever, Jamal Hill. But it's pretty remarkable about the late Anthony Rumble Johnson's power that he was able to put Glover's lights out almost instantly. Yeah. And Jamal Hill was hitting him with good shots all night and couldn't do great it. Great shots, is, uh, dude. Great t- shots. Tells you a lot. No, it it really does, and Jamal Hill can bang, which we already knew. But you know, it, some of that is, I mean, what it, you know, how do you define what makes a chin? Like some of it is, you know, I, I believe is sort of already there, has to be there in the beginning, a, a toughness level, a want. But it was that focus, like Glover had like insane level focus mixed with the confidence, the toughness. But you know, we had him on our room service diaries couch, and hearing the story of like how he got to the U.S. from from Brazil and how dangerous that was, it's like. You know, Ngannou's one of these just special people. Glover Teixeira is one of these special people. So in the end, he ends up retiring after an insanely amazing performance. And let me just remind you, full mountain round five, like could have turned that thing around in some wacky way. But he leaves on the same night that Shogun Hua does, that Jose Aldo breaks down to tears when he gets the Hall of Fame nod. Like in that regard, Luke, I love that because Glover's so understated and, you know, he came to the title late in his career, almost like a Michael Bisping type situation where we're not we don't tend to put him head to head with Big Nog, Jose Aldo, Anderson Silva, you know, Vanderlei, whatever your Brazilian heroes are. But winning the championship, having the reputation he has and now closing his career with this twilight of just insane action. And, and you know, he's in all of these fights like he belongs with those guys at the end of the day. And, you know, maybe the accomplishments, he's just short or, you know, he's not as charismatic as a lot of these guys, but it's the same. They're cut from the same cloth, Luke. I mean, the Brazilian fighters have such a great history of just being special warriors. And damn, I I was happy that this happened in Rio because Glover hadn't fought in Brazil since 2014. So it was just kind of a perfect storm in that regard. Uh, one more note, because this is mostly about the, the victory of Jamal Hill. Um Two parts to you. One, who do you, I mean, I realize it's very fresh, but who would you like to see him fight next? Does the Magomed on Kalia fight make the most sense? That's part one. Part two of that, BC, is, you know, there are some questions about how much the fans have fully taken to Jamal Hill, right? Because he came out Well, these out are two expressed... separate topics, Luke. Let's break these up. This is good All right, so, all right, so first, first things first. Does the Magomed on Kalia fight make the most sense? I don't know because, you know, we all now want to see him against Yuri Prohatska, who we all thought, Luke, was going to be out at least a year, right? And now you're hearing rumors from Yuri's camp that he's like, in Jamal Hill references it, that he, you know, he may be able to come back as early as six months. Now, look, I'd want Prohatska to take his time, although we have seen Tony Ferguson rush to turn around. John Cena in the pro wrestling world comes back at insane level turnarounds. I mean, maybe there's some PEDs involved in that. Don't look at me. But, um... I would like it on Kalia from a competition standpoint because short of outside of Prohaska, who's injured, not coming back right now. I think on probably the best light heavyweight in the world, but didn't show that fully against Jan, didn't seize the moment. 
and, you know, needs to go in there and do it against somebody like Jamal Hill. But the reason why I say I'm not sure, Luke, is what do you do about Jan Blahovich? It's like, whose fault was it that that fight was a draw? You know, he came out there and he, you know, he fought to a draw with Ankalaev. I mean, it's like no one's going to sanction that as an immediate rematch, but we kind of need to see who's coming out of that. I guess, you know, it's been done didn't before. You, you Didn't you come out? I mean, oh, come on, gun to your head. Didn't you come out of that being like, okay, Ankalaev should have been yes. the rightful winner and it's but I can't. Better. But I can't reward him with that. Even though if you ask me, who do you thought won? I didn't think it was a draw. I thought Uncle Live won by a point. But but to answer your question, um, I don't think you can reward a guy for for that. For for you know, I don't think he put his Uncle Live put his best foot forward in the end. You know, that's the criticism we have of him at times that he can absolutely dominate, but but it takes his time in getting there. You can't take your time on the title level in that type of scenario. But Luke, if they go that way, I do have no problem with it, and we do have. Uh, video to throw to. Did you see the social media media post from one Yuri Prohatska who heard his name being called after Jamal Hill won when he said, look, you said you can come back in six months. Let's do it. Here's Prohatska's response. Congratulations. I'm coming. I'm coming! I mean, was, that, was that you on your wedding night talking to your was, wife? Yeah. Uh, wow. Okay, that's inappropriate there. That's inappropriate, Luke. Okay, wow. But uh, that man is aggressively coming, Luke. I mean, seriously, like, could he script himself any better? First of all, as like the perfect foreign movie villain, and then just being ridiculously weird with the double down on the, uh, yeah, uh, he's I am coming. Jizzing. The I am jizzing. I mean, Luke, are you okay with that decision by <laughs> UFC to just go, yeah, who cares about the draw? Ankali is probably better. Let's do it. I mean, I don't even know what the division's a mess. Like, honestly, someone tweeted me this. I forget who it was. Somebody uh, had a, like a funny, if not interesting, if maybe even good idea or a good uh, thought, which was they kind of hoped that Glover, this was pre-fight. They hoped that Glover was going to win, right, and then retire. Okay, so you still have this problem. But then you could just do something of like a mid, a mini light heavyweight tournament to like really sort this all out. Now, obviously, um, Jamal Hill performing as well as he did kind of takes that out of the equation, but it doesn't make for obvious matchmaking. Here's my view, BC. This is my view. Now, if you pull up the rankings, I'm going to get to the to the secondary part of it. But the first part is I think Ankalaev should be next. That's just my opinion. I think Ankalaev should be next. From there, the question is like, what do you do? Yuri, to me, will, might be ready for the second or third, or excuse me, third or fourth quarter of the, of the year. So that's potentially on the back burner. But if that's not in place... <laughs> The he can fight Jan, the winner of that fight Jan, fights Jan Blahovich, and then after that, see where uh, Rakic is because he has to come back from injury against Prohachka. That's a way you could do that, or Prohachka can just wait in line. But if he wants to get busy, he could take on Rakic earlier than that, obviously because he's going to be looking at a similar time frame. Or you could just have Prohachka wait and then do Rakic and Smith again to see where both of those guys are, and then the winner of that can move up. Where are you on like any of those matchups? What's most important? Uh, Ankalaev would be most Ankalaev. important, Luke, because I think he's shown overall the full body of work that he's the best. I mean, when's Rakic ready? Because he was hurt, right? He was hurt as well. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what his exact time. He hasn't taken a fight yet, and I see. I follow him on social media. He's still kind of like getting back in good shape. I guess here's the real question that I want to ask you. How many names would you be okay with and wouldn't complain at all in terms of like, hey, UFC, that's too far down the rankings or whatever? Like if Anthony Smith gets the next title shot, you okay with that? Well, they were supposed to fight, but that, of course, is now under very different circumstances. 
Uh, yeah, I would. Smith is sitting at six, and you've got Ankalaev and Blahovich ahead of him in the rankings, which I realize are coming off the draw, but still. And Rakic is sitting at five. We don't really know his story. Glover you can't is a two, go Smith. Gone. No, what are we talking about? No, I love no, no. Smith. It has, it has to be Ankalaev or Blahovich. It would, ha- and yeah. I think Ankalaev, um personally, but. But, you know, d- depending on how things go, I don't think Smith is necessarily that far away. Okay, the last part of this was about, like, listen, if you win a UFC title, that's a really difficult, highly commendable thing to do, you know? doesn't matter who the person is. It's just extremely difficult to do. And then to win it with, frankly, not a ton of MMA experience, and then to do it so thoroughly against a very battle-tested veteran in Glover Teixeira, I mean, these are all highly, highly, highly distinguished feats, Okay. <laughs> But there is this question about how much the fan base takes to him, in part because of the uncertainty in the division. And the other part is, BC, he kind of expressed sympathy for Dana White hitting his wife. I mean, he didn't say it exactly that way, but what he said was, she hit him first, so definitely hit her back. It's okay. Like that, that's, you know, deep. his argument was, no one should hit anyone, but if she does hit, then you can, uh, I guess, retaliation under his rule is totally acceptable. He also seems to be a big fan of Andrew Tate. This has pissed off a lot of people. I wonder what you make of any of that and to what extent that will impede any potential relationship with the fan base, or perhaps not. I think it will impede it. I mean, look, I, I was surprised how many people tweeted out, MMA media included, and, and, and while it wouldn't have been my my choice of a move to do, you know, I get the spirit of what they're saying. They're like, oh, great fight and great performance, but now we got a division with somebody, you know, on top who's got piece of shit views and they share the tweets and you know the tweets <laughs> of his of Jamal Hill's take on you know domestic assault and and the whole she hit first thing and really doubling down on that yeah I didn't agree with that either that that's cringe to me and look and I and I guess another part his celebration and look you're really pulling you know splitting hairs here being critical but you asked me dude I, I got it I almost got emotional when he got emotional because you know I know how unheralded he was and how people were you know, looking over him and, and even me, I was harping on, you know, I got a number seven guy when this weird situation fighting for a title, which is why I was so happy he got the chance to show over five rounds how great he actually is. But he went from very humble crying to what the fuck are you going to say now? And and obviously that can add on and, and, and pull people the wrong way. I do feel like he's in this weird spot where. You know, could could great performances and knockouts just, you know, quiet this and win people over? It could. But I think when we look at fighters and when they, you know, come out of nowhere sometimes and, and suddenly achieve greatness and, and they're, they're a factor, they're a player in this larger title or pay-per-view, you know, space that we focus on, that we hyper-focus on, we either want them to be, you know, extreme baby faces or we want them to be the kind of villains where it's like they're strategically doing it to piss us off. And, you know, it's like pro wrestling, you know, uh, type of scripting there. Well, people don't want a real villains. Um, you know, I I don't want to harp on that because it's not that I don't think it's important. I think, you know, the views that he shared publicly are abhorrent and was the, the complete wrong response to that. The very public Dana White situation. But I do think you have to separate it from from the actual performance itself. Like, OK, you may not agree with his you know attitude or, or, or things he said or behaviors. You know, who cares at the end of the day compared to what he does in the cage? Uh, I try to do that. I try to do that in music, Luke, when you when you you know, you may have somebody who who doesn't always do things you like. But, man, their art is so great. I can separate the art from the artist in that regard. But I do think it, uh, from being lo- beloved and how that might translate into like him being a, a ratings grabber, he could get there just by being who he is, who is an, a smart action fighter who goes in there and takes people out. But I, I wonder if he might want to try 
to actually try to repair some of these, uh, some of the ways people look at him from some of those misgivings or relationships. Now, if he doesn't care, I want him to come out and say that. Go ahead, be the, you know, be the villain. Tell us you don't care. But I, I do think if he doesn't say anything about this stuff, he may have some trouble winning everybody over. But you got to ask yourself, does that matter, Luke? Because the more you're a villain, the more people tend to tune in anyway. Not that I think Jamal is. I, I, yeah, I, I, don't, know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I think I, I he's been know. underexposed from, in, you know, interview-wise, where I don't truly know who he is, you know what I mean? Besides just the controversy here, controversy there. Yeah, I mean, there's that. I mean, the the full picture of the guy, neither you or I are, have a great one of it. That's the first thing I'd say. Um, second of all, you know, it's uh, I try on fight nights to make sure that, and I didn't bring it up on the post-fight show at all. Like, I didn't bring it up at well, one bit uh, intentionally because the guy just won the UFC light heavyweight title. It was about fight nights, so let's keep it about fight nights. But on Monday's MK, I want to reflect a little bit more I mean, the dude's got views that I would consider to be, um, you know, bare minimum questionable and probably retrograde is a better way to describe it. But like, here's what I want. And I honestly don't even know the answer to this anymore, BC. I generally don't. The more this seems to get a, uh, a light shined on it throughout the entire sport, not just among the fighter class, but among other participants in the industry, the amount of people who have absolutely insane views or completely backwards or not keeping with the times or otherwise morally deficient uh, hashtag people who hang out with Kadyrov. You know, I don't even know what to say anymore. Like Jamal Hill relative to people who hang out with Kadyrov, like that's not great. But that, I mean, to me, that's not even nearly the same level of uh, problematic such that that's a word behavior. Like it's so you can't turn over a rock in this industry and not find worms like the entire forest is this way. So I, I'm not in any way trying to dissuade people if like what Jamal Hill said was bad, which I completely disagree with every single part of it. And I find the idea that anyone could believe a single word Andrew Tate says convincing is like incomprehensible to me. But nevertheless, um, you know, take that into account. Make that a larger view of how you want to view it. But at least on fight night, you know, that, that's a really difficult achievement that he had. And I thought that was relevant yeah. to focus in that I mean way. That's I think there's way way too much to, good to focus on in this performance. And one other thing from the performance, Luke, do you remember when Hill came out? It actually went back to the first face-off. It was in uh, UFC Embedded Episode 1. Did you see that face-off they did outside the arena and it got, like, really it intense? intense, and, yes. And, they, you know, they hugged afterwards and it was kind of just for the moment. But I started watching Jamal Hill close throughout the week on how he handled being in the spotlight. Look, how many times do we see somebody who like they finally get that title shot after being a contender for years? And sometimes you can see they don't they don't look like they're comfortable here. And, and sometimes that doesn't matter. But he not only looked like he was comfortable. Dude, did you see walking into the cage, waiting at the door for Glover to get in and then staring at him and pointing at him? In that moment, you know, I think our first thought was, holy shit, is this a a, a guy who's who's so nervous he's trying to show everybody that he belongs and he doesn't believe it. I remember in the moment thinking, no, I think it's actually the opposite. His mental like focus and stance mm -hmm. he took there, dude, that impressed me because it, it didn't look like bullshit and it turns out it wasn't, by the way. But, to I mean, think of that. Who is this guy, right? Anyone that regularly buys pay-per-views but maybe doesn't follow the sport week to week might not even know who he is. Yet he walked down the scene, you know, pointed at the toughest guy across and was like, you know, it's not about bowing down to Glover here. It's about I'm about to kick your ass. And seeing the performance afterwards, it makes that moment looking back a lot cooler. And I think a big part of what makes Jamal Hill able to do what he just did was because he is wired to to, uh, so, you know, in terms of self-belief and being able to stay cool, calm and poised and deliver with that intensity like very few can, especially in their, you know, debuting pay-per-view moment there.
Yeah, I, I just want to point out something. A lot of times, like, fighters will get assessed pre-fight, and someone will note, oh, look how much confidence they have. But to me, that usually is just a bullshit thing people say to be nice to someone when they don't have much else to say. But it wasn't the case here. And to me, BC, he had a very different kind of confidence than he usually had. He looked a little bit more uh, sure of himself, a, a, a much more leaning into the conflict itself. And to me, now having seen his performance and understanding it, to me, they put in a lot of homework around his very particular weaknesses. They leveled up clearly in the gym, and he knew it. He knew he had leveled up in the gym. He knew that he had done the work necessary to put him in a position to win, and he was very confident about that growth. To me, when you focus on someone's confidence like that, that's different. That's that's very acceptable. That's real. I just don't like it half the time. Someone's like, yeah, he's coming in with a lot of confidence. Get the fuck out of here. The lazy-ass analysis. But this was real. This was a very much reflective of personal growth that he couldn't wait to show. And sure enough, he showed it. Um, all right, BC. Let's talk about the co-main event here. Oh, excuse me. Before we get to the co-main event, I apologize. Let me get this off my screen. Uh, before we get to the co-main Let's talk about three Brazilian legends, basically, that were involved on fight night. Number one, Jose Aldo goes into the Hall of Fame. But more to the point, BC, let's start here. Glover Teixeira and Shogun Hua retire on the exact same night. Shogun Hua lost on the prelims rather badly. Glover Teixeira did not lose. Well, he lost badly in the sense that he got beat up, but he showed you know a ton of resiliency through the whole thing. He didn't look frail in that way. So, BC, taking all that into account, let's start first with Teixeira and Hua. What are their respective legacies in the sport? You know, they're certainly different. And, and you know, as we talked about, a big part of Glover's success was was backloaded in that regard. But it's like, you know, these are the, the – uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a trope I keep reaching for lately, but these are the last of the Cowboys, Luke. These really are. I mean, these are the guys – you know, in Shogun's case, he actually came from that old era, the prime pride run that he had that, you know, not only was he still around today, but as we talk, I mean, he he somehow stayed relevant in his twilight. It was it was ridiculous uh, to the fact that these guys are still around today and now going away. They had to endure evolution, you know, years, damage, all of that. And. At the end of the day, they are about doing exactly what Glover did, and I'm sure Shogun would have tried to do if he didn't get stopped early, which was just leave it, let it, let it all hang out. You talk about gameness, the whole idea of not being overly worried on the on the cost, on the damage it takes. I mean, look, there's people with great chins in history or recuperative abilities, and then to me, there's the Brazilian legends, and the and you know the chins don't last forever, and Shogun's been stopped a couple times in recent years. But dude, it's just when you it's it's the chin mixed with the attitude and the toughness and the backstory. And, you know, certain regions can identify themselves in certain ways. And right now, the, the folks from Dagestan in that area are certainly doing that, too. But, man, these guys are just bout it, bout it. Uh, I was glad they got to go out together on the same night in different ways. UFC's return to Brazil and, th- you know, first time in three years. Um, there was just something pure about it. And I think that's it. What's their legacy outside of everything they both accomplished? Shogun, I think a little bit more than Glover, but you know who's who's comparing notes here. Um, it's always been that pure ability that, like, if you're paying money to see them, you know you're going to get the best of them. And they may walk into to the buzzsaw like Shogun did against John Jones, and that that's just what happens in this game. 
But man, are they about it, about it. And to have the type of longevity that they had, not just Shogun in totality, but for Glover to actually figure out how to be the best of himself in his, you know, early onset washed years that we're enduring right now is, is that's a huge part of what made him great. Yeah. For me, there'd be two different ones with, with Glover. I mean, I don't know if folks realize this. He went on a, I mean, I'm sure some do obviously, but just as a reminder anyway, uh, he went on a 20 fight win streak from 2005 to 2014, 20 fights in a row. He won. He didn't lose a single one in between. And that's not just UFC. In fact, a lot of that is not UFC, but the point I'm trying to make is when he went two and two to start his career. And then after that, he went 22 and two before he met John Jones, an incredible achievement by itself. The kind of thing he was putting together very quietly. He had a very quiet start to his career. He had very quiet moments throughout large parts of it. I mean, here's the funny part about it. He started when a lot of other of his Brazilian contemporaries started around sort of post 9-11, 2002-ish around that time, and then wanted to build, build a career from there. But he missed the heyday of pride. He didn't get it early enough of a start to get a call up over there. And he missed the early UFC boom post-2005 as well. He did not make his UFC debut until, I think, 2011 or 2012. Let me verify that. Yeah, he, he lost... He, what did he lose, like five years of his prime because he, yeah. UFC wanted him, but he couldn't get the visa to get he had in? the visa issues, which you talked about. He didn't make it till t- 2012. I mean, Shogun had already become a pride champ and a UFC champ and then lost the UFC champ before Glover even made his UFC debut. He lost years of his career. But it should be noted, when you think about the Brazilian legends, especially at light heavyweight, Shoguns, Vanderleys, Aronas, uh, you could go to, let's see who else, Hanato Sabral. You could go on and on the, and on. What about the king of the streets? Yes. No, 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 no. Well, Marco Huas was heavyweight, but I'm talking about light heavyweight. Oh, he could have cut down to 205 if he, it was He could have. He could have. Also, Little Nog goes in that. There was a general class of Brazilian excellence that Does came he? out at that time, especially at light heavyweight. Glover never really got the credit as being part of that, but he very much was part of that class. It just took him a little while longer by virtue of how much time he lost with all his visa issues and then getting back and then obviously getting a title at age 42 years old. That's the first thing I'd say. The second part about his career that really stands out to me, BC, is just very simply, he is a testament to what happens when you're perseverant and you make commitment to martial arts development just a part of your life. You know, his success, some guys got success in 2005, like Shogun, and some guys got success later in 2007, 2008, 2009, again, to that Brazilian class and whatnot, and he never did. He had to wait until 2022. 2022 to get, well, or 2021 even. What year was it when he finally beat a project? 2022. 21. June of that year. He had to wait that long. He had to wait 20 years into his career to finally get the acclaim that he deserved. That is a testament, and that only happens when you're a blue-collar guy as part of your identity, and you pack a lunch every day, and every day you go to the gym and just get a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. So I think of him as that Brazilian class, BC, and I also think of him as one of these lunch pail guys who is just a testament to what happens when you don't fucking quit. For Shogun BC, it's a little bit different. He did burst early. He is one of the most important legends in all of Brazilian MMA. He's one of the best Brazilian, frankly, outright MMA fighters ever. He had arguably the very best calendar year any MMA fighters ever had in 2005. I'm going to say flatly, he had the best run through any tournament any fighter has ever had through the Pride Middleweight Grand Prix. He did fall on hard times and should have retired probably a long time ago. But in terms of his upside, part of one of the most important Brazilian rivalries of all time between shoot to box and Brazilian top team, best tournament run ever, arguably best year ever, 
and a real dynamite savage when it came to making very dangerous Muay Thai a part of finishing, a part of high-level fighting. And not just him, of course, Vanderlei and others, Anderson Silva, but he was a big part of that too. Indeed. And, and you know, keeping with the trio there, Jose Aldo had already retired, although he has a boxing de- pro boxing debut coming up on UFC Fight Pass. But that took me off guard almost as much as it took him off guard. I think... Uh, you know, that's typically how UFC does it, where I think Jose found out while he was sitting in the arena, Luke, on the screen that he would be, you know, uh, is he the headliner? If not, right up there for this year's uh, Hall of Fame class. But to see him break down, not just like once for a little bit, but like they went, they almost threw to a commercial and threw the camera back at him and he was still broken down, Luke. Like, damn, dude, you know, like that, like that. How does that not touch you? You know, you think somebody like Joe, you think when anytime somebody gets so much stardom and, you know, and championships and, and acclaim and all that, that how many times have we seen people change, you know, maybe separate from harboring a, a, an escaped uh, a politician, Luke, that's about as pure of from a pure gentleman, a moment that, that you could imagine to see how much that actually meant to him. And, uh, you know, like Anderson in the modern era was the was the was the flashy one, you know, that represented Brazilian MMA. But Jose Aldo was the the you know, the 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 clock ticking every time consistent destroying one. Um, I was a little surprised to see that get to him like that, but I loved it, man. I loved it. Yeah, I mean, I think during the time you could argue like Demetrius has gone on to do things better in, in MMA than Jose. I'm not necessarily making that argument, but certainly one could. But and, and again, they didn't have flyweight at WEC when when Demetrius was around. But just as a matter of fact, Jose Aldo, to me, they made Uriah uh, Faber for a long time the face of that organization, but the real face of that organization was Jose Aldo. He's the best fighter in WEC history. He's one of the five best fighters ever, in my view. You could have him even higher than that if you wanted to. He's one of the very best premier talents ever to come out on planet Earth, sub-155. He showed what could happen when you marry dynamic athleticism with, um, you know, obviously he had all the various parts of the game because he was a, it was a brown belt world champion, not a black belt, but he, he beat Cabrinho in, in, to getting in, uh, in the world championships at brown belt before they both made it to black. And dude, he was one of these guys, like he came out with this devastating leg kicking in Muay Thai. And then I remember when Gray Maynard went to go wrestle with him was like mind blown at how good his defensive wrestling was. He was good at defensive wrestling before any of the very good strikers really in MMA were as good because there was guys who could strike and had defensive wrestling, but not guys who you thought of primarily as strikers who could do it. He did it. I mean, we are talking about the ex, the very highest level of excellence in the sport that this guy achieved. It was a 10 year undefeated run. Basically they just don't come much better than Jose Aldo facts. Sorry. Uh, did, did he deserve a McGregor rematch and not get it? I thought so, but you know, the sport moves on. You know, it was Connor cool to see on. him uh, mention that, you know, he looks back at Connor so positively because, you know, Connor got him his biggest payday, you know, ever and, and elevated his, you know, brand in that regard. So, uh, you know, that story mixed with when he told Oscar Willis at the post fight press conference that Connor put red panties on uh, Jose's door the night before UFC 200. Um It's kind of hilarious, Luke, to a certain degree, if you care about that stuff. But no, uh, uh the king of Heo, Luke, um, the king indeed. It's funny, you just said top five, and, you know, I always sort of have a working upper table top five. Not that it really matters. It's just my own personal hierarchy, and I get a lot of slander from people saying, like, dude, you got to reshuffle that deck and put Jose in there, and you just said top five, but it's like 
you can't only have five. I, I wonder though if I have been wrong because I typically reserve that that, that space for Anderson, George, John, Fedor, and who am I missing there, Luke? Demetrius. Demetrius. And then you have to ask yourself, did Habib enter that or did he go just short? Did DC enter I, that? I would not put Habib over Jose Aldo, I don't think. Okay, I, mean, did, I don't know. I have to think about that. But Did Cormier pass that when he knocked out Stipe no. in the first fight or did he lose it? You know, it's like there's a gray area. There's a lot of great names, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't be wrong if I decided to to re- reshuffle the deck and put him in there in that top five because he I just don't a- think people understand all the ways in which he contributed to the growth of MMA, not just as a popular attraction, although there's some debate about that because he was never really a major pay-per-view star, but in terms of the skills he was able to showcase, like we didn't even talk about his boxing, his ability to slip punches, re-angle and pivot off the front foot, body attacks by combining things. The guys just weren't slipping punches like they, you see it fairly regularly now to you know uh, uh, some success, some not. Jose was doing that fucking fourteen or whatever, but it was years ago at this point, way ahead of his time, way ahead of the rest of the crew. Everyone, like the reason why he was so dominant was everyone had to play catch up for years. For years, yeah. it took that that long for the division to even figure out what possible ways you could even slow a guy down like that. So I just don't think folks really appreciate how much he contributed to the technical maturation of the sport, especially for the lighter weight guys, really, really had a very direct hand in it. And I love when he came over from the WEC. They're like, we're not even going to have him fight for the championship here. You're the UFC featherweight champion. Go ahead. And he went. He went ahead, Luke. How could you do anything else? It'd be so disrespectful. Um, All right, BC, let's talk about the co-main event, UFC 283. So Brandon Moreno actually ends up stopping Devison Figueredo via TKO. Basically, it's after the third round. The third round had ended a fourth round never began. It was in that middle space. So they, they give it to him at basically five minutes of the third round. He is now, once again, your UFC flyweight champion. BC, very open-ended question, but an important one. To you, what did Brandon Moreno prove with this win? I think he proved that that he won this rivalry, that in terms of the overall performances, he's the better fighter of the two in this you know now historic uh, chapter series between them. And if there was any argument needed above the fact that he's 2-1-1 one, and one against Figueredo, uh, it, his wins, his two wins, are are the, the only two stoppages and are largely one-sided. And, I mean, this one was one-sided to the point, Luke, that I actually saw people coming back around again and DMing me and going, hey, wait, did we overvalue this this series? It's actually not one of the greatest rivalries. Only the first fight was great, and the third one was slow, and there were two one-sided stoppages. And I was like, slow down, people. I really enjoyed this rivalry, okay? Maybe it's not, you know, the greatest in history. But I think, you know, you get to that point as an emotional fan because Moreno came out and handled it. He mixed in the wrestling smartly. He made adjustments on the feet and striking. He used volume for the fact that Figueredo, especially with that hard weight cut, I don't think you can say it enough. Can't, you know, can't, can't go crazy. Can't, can't go balls to the walls and, and really flaunt that power on that same level more than one strike at a time. Uh, considering the, the upheaval in Moreno's corner and camp on the way in here with James Cross out and uh, safe Saud in, Man, that's just a mature performance to come back and 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 one up the guy who's who's giving him trouble along the way. Um, I you know I didn't learn a ton. It's not that he made a an overly ridiculous leap. I think he just fixed some of the some of the things from the third fight and and you know I mean look the look Figueroa's thirty five and you know that punch took a lot of starch out of Figueroa that that left that left hook that closed his eye and of course there was a brief period where I thought it was maybe from the 
the uh, the the eye poke which followed it. But I'm I really enjoyed um, the investigative work of the UFC team to point that out that it wasn't. Um, yeah, man, he's the man at flyweight, and you know he kind of needed Figueredo to truly make him, but. He he came back and 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 the belt is his. Figueroa's moving up to one thirty five, and now we get to see if Moreno in this division, which has been all fireworks and parody since uh, uh, DJ got traded and you know Cejudo saved it. Let's see if he can put a run together. He's still very young. Uh, we'll have a big push marketing wise with the you know with the Mexican heritage, um, but very mature performance. Yeah, I have um, I have a few things about this that really stand out to me. Now, Danny Segura tweeted this on Saturday night. It, it, it really is important to note this because what I'm about to tell you, like even 10 years ago, was really unfathomable, just completely unfathomable, which is that there were, before Saturday night, four UFC fighters of Mexican descent, four Mexican nationals that are going to be fighting for UFC titles. Brandon Moreno was the first one, and he won. Subsequent to this, we're going to have Alexa Grasso taking on Valentina Shevchenko, as well as Irene Aldana taking on Amanda Nunes. Plus, don't forget, it's an interim title, but still a very worthy opportunity for Yair Rodriguez to take on Josh Emmett. Dude, by the end of 2023, it is at least conceivable. Unlikely, because it's you know just hard to predict all four are going to win, but you might be able to say you have four Mexican nationals as champions in the in in one calendar year for the UFC. That is crazy development for that part of the world. I I knew that they would eventually come around and be big players. They're just you know this from boxing BC. I mean, I don't even need to tell you how important Mexico is to the history of boxing. It's one of the premier places in the world for developing, finding and enjoying premier talent. But the reality is on the MMA side, they are making vast improvements in very very rapid ways. This is a historic time for uh, Mexican mixed martial arts, and I just hope all fans can appreciate that when every one of these hot spots gets stronger in MMA, the talent pool gets better, which means the fights get better, the game gets bigger. You got to love every part of that. That's the first thing I'd say. Game begets game, Luke. It certainly does, and game recognizes game, and I think we should all recognize Mexican MMA could be on the precipice of something bigger. We shall see. The other part, though, specifically about Brandon Moreno, BC, I went back and I watched the fight this morning and I took notes on everything I saw. You know what really stood out to me is that it wasn't like Brandon did anything really super special this time. I I didn't see anything especially crazy from him. But what he did do was very, very clean fundamentals. What I'm going to say here is I believe both guys leveled up from this rivalry. Now, you could say, well, Figueredo didn't look all that great necessarily on Saturday night. Compare the level of detail which he approached the game in this fight with the first one, and they're just radically different. Even he improved. But Brandon Moreno is just almost a new fighter at this point. He had a lot of the raw ingredients, but it is such a smooth, well-put-together package at this point that it really is just remarkable. What won him this was destabilizing inside leg kicks, well-timed takedowns, right hands over the top or combinations left to the body right over the top or when he was able to judge distance with hand fighting that leaping left that you saw he threw it about 13 seconds before it actually landed he missed the first time and then he adjusted the second and bc all of it came from understanding range and exactly the very particular kind of footwork setups that figueredo does guy moreno found them all out, knew exactly what was coming, had planned for them all, and was able to either get out of the way of most of the trouble or just cause it on his own by getting that hunched over stance. He would he would jab in open air. He would bait attacks. It's all not easy. Not easy. We've talked about this with like Gordon Ryan's game. Nothing about his game is easy. 
but it is simple. It's not based on anything super crazy flashy. It's not based on anything where you're doing these wild spinning this and acrobatic that. It's just super solid fundamentals on distance, timing, footwork, all those things put together, building it, knowing the opponent. And he built all of the previous opponents, uh, or excuse me, all the previous fights he had against this guy. He put that together, mixed it with this well, good, this, uh, this, I should say, strong understanding of fundamentals. And it just resulted in a close fight. But really, one guy was just better than the other one throughout the entire course of it. It was Brandon Moreno. I am amazed at just how far he has come along. We shall see how long he can hold on to that title, BC, especially if Cejudo comes back and maybe he goes to 135 or 125. We don't really know. But I got to tell you, man, these guys built themselves up through this rivalry. Moreno built himself up in particular, but they, they raised the stakes for the rivalry. And, dude, they rebuilt flyweight and when it really, really needed it. Not, not by themselves, but certainly you can say the rivalry lifted it. This was a really grown man performance from Brandon Moreno. Indeed, indeed. And, and you know, he's he's becoming a sum of his parts guy. You know, he's becoming a complete fighter. And you wonder if the switching camp, which we assumed might be a negative, ends up being a positive to get a, you know, completely new look from a completely, you know, new smart brain to, to try to help make subtle changes. Because, you know, it, Moreno won the... He ended up winning more fights than Figueredo in this rivalry. But I think overall, because you could have made a better case for Moreno winning the decision in the draw on the first one than you could have Figueredo. So I think all in all, it just came down to very little things. And when he was able to adjust those little things, he had the potential to be dominant in certain stretches of this rivalry. And when he didn't, it was still pretty close and Figueredo, you know, edged him out. But look, it's hard, man. You know, I give Figueredo credit for making the way and... And, you know, he had that window there to be something and he maxed it out and he came back and won the title back in the trilogy and no one's going to hold that back. But it's like, damn, if only this weight class was, you know, 127 pounds, what would, you know, if he had more of a gas tank, what would he look like being that destroyer? He'd probably look like how he did in the Benavides fights, right? I mean, it's like, you know, when he can be, when he has the gas tank to go through some crazy exchanges and stuff, figure it out so many ways to finish a fight. He's been a revelation for the division and for my entertainment purposes. I got a lot of questions about what he'll look like at Bantamweight, but didn't he scare you into thinking he was, like, retiring, taking off the gloves, Luke? That was a little scary for a second. Yeah, and then he was like, I'm just going to go to 135. BC, I said this on Saturday night. I would love to get your response to this. Like, dude, Figueredo's obviously a talented guy, right? Um, but 35 years old going to 135, and Umar Nurmagomedov isn't even ranked inside the top 10. Man, good luck trying to climb the ranks in that division, bro. Yeah, it's, at 35 it, it, years of age. It has the potential to be an uphill battle. Uh, we're going to have to see if his power carries and stays on that on that threat level at 35. If it doesn't Yeah, I mean he's going to you know, he's tough. He's got a he's got a good grappling game. He, there's a lot he can do, but he's his style was tailored to being such a bully in that division, you know? That it's like Sometimes that gap is just too too big. He's got a lot of questions to answer with the age mixed with that, but he's still operating at such a high level, even with the age, Luke, that you give him a chance. Give the man a chance, all right? Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, BC, do you have any idea who you would want to see Brandon Moreno up against next? Juicy, I think it was Juicy Air. No, was it Pantoja or Formiga backstage? I think it was Pantoja. Yeah, Pantoja's due, bro. Pantoja's due. He wants to. Yeah, that's who you go with? That's who you're going to go with? Yeah, have they fought each other? Because it's been very incestuous in this division at the top level where they tend to all fight each other. I'm looking over. Let me me get the correct record here before I speak after. Okay, yeah. So Moreno lost to Pantoja by decision way back in 2018. It was the fight that led to Brandon Moreno being cut. 
So not only do you have that whole sort of storyline factor yes. playing out, but at 32, Pantoja's coming on with the three straight victories and two of them being submissions. Yeah, it's got to be him, right? It's got to be him next because you know there are a lot of people that said, "Hey, you didn't even you didn't need a fourth fight between these two. Pantoja had already earned it." But Luke, if if Moreno does win, dude, uh, you got to get a Kai Car France rematch going. And, you know, him against Royville, him against guys he's already fought, like, he could put together a run. And as we know, every fight's going to be fireworks, dude. I love this division. I love his division, too. And I got to say, these guys, flyweight fights weren't always this fun. I think we should say that out loud. Yeah. People are like, oh, my God, the UFC cut flyweights. And, yes, maybe they cut them prematurely. But you also have to acknowledge the fights, certainly this generation, it may not be a permanent fixture. I mean, divisions and their quality go up and down over time. But I'm sorry, like these two guys, these fights are much better than early stage flyweight fights. There was a lot of wrestling. Guys didn't have a hard time hurting each other. There wasn't a lot of power necessarily. I feel like the weight class just has overall globally more talent in 2023 than it did in 2013. Well, it- when it started, it it used to be fun because they they looked like they were mice running through a trap. It was like you know not yes. it was like wild. But to your point, no, there wasn't a ton of finishers. Now I think you know we don't we God Demetrius Johnson earns needs deserves so much more credit than anyone ever gave him. Remember there oh, was that guy stretch ahead of his time. You remember that stretch where where DJ was just getting decision wins and we're like not only is he not marketable, he's not a finisher, and then he just comes out there and like knocks uh, Benavides out in the first round of the yes. rematch and just you know starts effing around and getting last second finishes i mean damn dude let it luke let for the rest of my life and any mma bullshit that spews out of my mouth anything involving an upper room and top five and all that shit if you ever hear me start to forget and and misstep and and never keep dj where he's deserved and belongs and by the way still going and still great you know kick me right in the old cajones luke okay because i deserve that because dj he earned that shit man but yeah, uh, I, flyweight, flyweight wasn't that much fun when he was on top. But I don't know, is that his fault? That's that's well, the no, forever he, debate. He was fun. That's the problem, right? Like he was fun on top. And yes, you could argue Cejudo was there as well and beat him in the second one. All that's kind of crazy. I'm just saying, like to me, the general quality of flyweight. Forget about Demetrius Johnson fights, who is the outlier of all outliers. I mean, it's it's very unfair to hold him as your standard. The general the general level of flyweight fights. I you know they're better now they are they're much better now this the, this rivalry is you know a little bit also an exaggerated example but I think is more emblematic of what you typically can get these days versus what it used to be now look name 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 a better UFC flyweight fight than Henry Cejudo versus Joseph Benavides uh the 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 first one between these two maybe well one had fouls I mean that's not exactly right but. Second one, maybe? I don't know. Um, no, not right. the second one. Third one, maybe. Uh, yeah. There, yeah, third one's different, though. Okay, neither here nor there. Uh, BC, we go to point number four now. Gilbert Burns, speaking of dominance, Jesus, Lord have mercy on poor Neil Magny. <laughs> Gilbert Burns just ran through him. I don't know how else to say it. I got a ton of respect for Neil Magny, but he was overmatched. Gilbert Burns did. Once his grappling got going, he did whatever he wanted to. He ended up with a head and arm triangle submission in the first round. BC, he called for Colby Covington next. Two-parter. One, did he restore confidence in you about him still being a very top contender at welterweight? And two, if it is the case, should he get the Colby Covington fight next? Yeah, it may end up being the right fight under both scenarios. But, dude, at 36, coming off of a you know a, a war with Chimaev, again, one that probably should be argued more of how close it actually was, like... This is a fight he took kind of because he had to to stay busy against a big name. 
I expected him to win, not to the dominant level that he did, nor that Vegas set him up to. I mean, Vegas on top of this one. They knew better, Luke. This was that perfect type of fight where you're like looking at the odds and you're going, man, Magny's tough. He's tough to look great against all this shit. Oh, no. Gilbert Burns with the curly hair is a different story. So what he ultimately restored was not just like, is he a player in the space he would prefer, it seems, to operate in, meaning action star. He wants Covington. He wants Masvidal. He wants to be in that I want to make money in the pay-per-view main or co-main whether I'm in a title fight or not. But dude, the ease in which he relied on his original strengths of of takedowns into grappling, into submissions, uh, dude, he's still a title contender in my eyes, especially since you know, that the division was turned upside down with the upset of Edwards and now we need the trilogy right there. Um, uh, Maybe Colby's the, the the right fight either way, Luke. But I'm not sure he's done fighting for a title, dude. Gilbert Burns, especially, you know, you heard the comments after of like, I could do that, what I just did to Magni to anybody. He fell in love with how well-rounded he got, rightfully so. He became a legitimate striking threat. And oh, by the way, he dropped Usman in the first round in the title fight. Sometimes we forget that. But if he leans a little bit more submission first, Luke... There, there, there is a short amount, a short list of people on this earth who, who can, you know, fight that off with, with, with ease. Um, dude, he's still a threat for this title. Tell me I'm wrong, Luke. Uh, you're not wrong. It'll be interesting to see what happens in terms of the Colby Covington fight. He might get it. He probably should get it, but I have a feeling that they don't really know what's going to happen with Colby. I don't know exactly what his return time is under what circumstances. He has been very, very quiet for the most part. And here's the problem, dude. You've got Bilal Muhammad sitting at four. You've got Gilbert Burns sitting at five. I feel like they're headed for a fight because even pre-fight, you had had Burns at one of the pre-fight press conferences or media days getting out there and saying, you know, I don't even understand why this guy's ranked ahead of me, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, Bilal had a response, and Bilal's on the run of his life, it should be noted to this point as well. You might end up with those two, and then those two trying to figure out what happens up top. I I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going to happen with Colby Covington. But I'll say this, man. If uh, if you were sleeping on Gilbert Burns, wow, he's kind of washed and blah, blah, blah. Nah, fam. Nah, not at all. Not really true, even a little bit. He looked amazing. And if you can show the slides of the finish of the choke one more time, it should be noted here for a head and arm triangle, he's not even in close to the optimal position. In fact, he's stuck up against the fence, so he has to be kind of on top. So this is where he launches it over, and then you'll see when you get him fully to the side. Look, stop it there for just a second. Look at this. That is not even close to an optimal position for a head and arm triangle. You actually want to be much further off if you can be. The fact that the fence stopped him from angling out the way he needed to to fully get it and yet still was able to to tap a veteran, veteran, like Neil Magny tells you, this dude knows every, every centimeter of where a choke just needs to be exactly to get it right and was able to pull it off. A master of sport in jiu-jitsu and overall looked like he still had all the athletic dynamism his setup to get it he switched stance into a right-handed uh stance to get the body lock so the entry was smooth the finish of the body lock takedown was smooth the choice of the body lock because it gives him pinning top pressure when he lands was smooth like dude this guy is very much very much still a high level operator so i don't know exactly how this is going to go colby could play fuck fuck games bc and make uh, someone like burns and, and and Bilal have to fight which by the way wouldn't be the end of the world but i would like to see burns versus covington i actually think it's a real tough test here's the deal though colby is still at well here's the deal colby you got to basically pick your poison because you 
You fuck around with your own fuck fuck games, you'll end up playing Jemayev and be offered nothing else, right? You know what I mean? Like so, could be. So you you got to kind of pick what you would prefer and what you in that regard. But you know, I wonder if Gilbert could have a Glover like Ron, right? I, you know, he's look. He, no, no one's saying he's necessarily going to fight for another title. He'd have to beat, like you said, somebody on the Muhammad level. But dude, especially if he leans into that side a little bit more, man, still got it, still going. I'd love him against either Usman or Edwards in a rematch if he ends up getting to that point. But um, we'll see, Luke. But that's a big win, man. That's a, I mean, because like, dude, Magny just looked as kind of mag, you know, the kind of against Daniel Rodriguez. Magny got a Magny type win where you're like, okay, okay, this guy's you know st- still a player. Still that, still that guy, but wasn't that guy in this fight? Damn, yeah. right? And the last thing I'd say is, too, like, Gilbert Burns needed to have a win like this, right? I mean, if you are as over, if the other guy is as overmatched as he's supposed to be in theory, and you're coming off of a loss, and you want to establish yourself as, like, a, still a guy to be very taken seriously, you had to go in there and dominate him. And he didn't, like, beat him up in that way. But he fucking dominated him. I mean, he dominated him from basically the moment he put his hands on him until the ref told him to get off. Uh, and that was what he needed. That was a really, that was exactly the the needle that he needed to thread. And I thought he did it as about as ably as a, an advanced fighter could. So, Look, if you had to set the odds for who would who's going to come out of this division and fight the winner of Usman Edwards three. Who's the leader in the clubhouse? You don't know who everyone's fighting next. You don't know if they're going to win, but who's the leader in the clubhouse in your eyes? <clears throat> Boy, that's a great call. It's going to depend partly on what Leon says, obviously, right? Um, they're not going to give a title shot to Jorge, I don't think. I just, I'd be very surprised by that, but one never knows. They might. Um, I mean, it's it's the Dan Hendo uh, Bisping clause, Luke. They, right, they could pull that bit. out. They could just pull that out of nowhere, you know? Probably, I might say Bilal, honestly. Um, you don't think Hamzat? Because, you don't well, think... here's the thing. Ch- I'm, you know, there's little whispers that Ch- uh, Chumayev's next fight is going to be at 185, in which case he's out. If he's in, okay, so I'll say it this way. If he's in the running at welterweight, actually like in the running, it's him. But from what I'm hearing, it might, it's not out of the question, but it looks likelier that 185 is next. Who so, would he fight? Costa? Uh well I don't know is Costa gonna stick around I don't know what's gonna happen. Did you there see either. him in the uh, in the secret juice muscle shirt uh, cage side? <laughs> I did. That was very. He's 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 he likes to troll. Old Bohuchini. He likes to troll. All right, BC. Uh, point number five here. And we'll wrap up for our, our top five, which is let's talk about the feature fight on this card. It was a flyweight women's fight. Jessica Andrade taking on Lauren Murphy. Uh, the scores of this one. These are scores you should never hear, and I'm gonna explain why. The scores were. Two 3025s, one 3026. Folks, the only reason you should ever hear a score like that is if someone had a point deducted. If someone ends up taking a beating where they lose 3025, 3025, 3026, either the ref or the corner or both fucked up. BC? Yeah, in a three round fight. This is a three round round fight. fight. Uh, By the way, uh, our own uh, friend of the show, Aaron Bronsetter, compared the combined. Head striking totals from the first Zhang Wiley and um, I believe it was the Yuan and Jacek fight, right? They combined the totals to the head. It was only 20 more in a five-round fight between two competitors, 180 basically, to the 160 head strikes that Lauren Murphy absorbed in a three-round contest. BC, whose fault is it that this fight was not stopped earlier? 
trainers 100 percent. and i don't even you know i didn't investigate it i didn't see if they talked afterwards i don't even know offhand who is her trainer trainer lead trainer it's actually her husband is one of them um i'm not sure the other name i mean you know you're always going to make that argument of like you always say of how well they know them and all that here's the deal though you have to know your own fighter in in the other sense how are they going to win this look what makes lauren murphy very good for this division it's a combination of two things i'm gonna be very blunt one is the good side she's she's a well-rounded mixed martial artist who's tough and stubborn uh, you saw how tough and stubborn she is that she took that assault and finished it. But she's not a finisher, especially on the elite level in her own route. She's in her own mind. She's not a big knockout threat. She's not someone who's known for for pulling submissions out of nowhere. So, you know, part of why she's been able to stay elite is because of how hard she works into her late 30s and how well-rounded her game is. But this is, you know, until recently, a very shallow division, just the same, which is the other half of that argument where... In, you know, this is one of the across the board in its history, Luke. It's one of the worst divisions UFC's ever promoted in that regard. I like now that it's it's we got some fresh, you know, it's going in a good place. That's part of it. You have to know what she's capable of. What do you win? What's the you know? I say I've said this argument in boxing so many times in the last decade. What 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 is the moral victory worth? What do you win? It's a loss. You know what I mean? Who cares that you're able to say at the end of the day? I've never been stopped or I, I fought that former champion, but I wasn't stopped. What, what, you know, what, what's the, what's the, what's the receipt at the end of the day? She wasn't in this fight. It was dip. That's the thing about the Glover to share a fifth round. I watched it through my fingers in part, but that's a title fight. And that's a guy with a reputation for being tough. And by the way, when you have a reputation for being tough, you'll end up using every inch of your chin because referees like to give you, you know, give you some latitude and some room there. That's a different story. She wasn't in this fight. There was no threat of one or two punches turning that around. Uh, I hated it. I hated watching it. And this doesn't even come into play, Luke, that in our OK bet uh, head-to-head league, I got absolutely run over for the second straight one. And if they had stopped it, I would have saved a little face with the prediction of the Andrade knockout. That notwithstanding, um, I mean, go. what are you going to do, Luke? You're going to tear into them? You should tear into them here. I mean, no, th- I'm th- not just- gonna, I like Lauren Murphy a lot. I'm not going to tear into her. And uh, I'm sure that her husband who was working in her corner in that capacity, I'm sure he didn't want bad things to happen to her. So, you know, I, I've tried fire and brimstone from this, and sometimes I will resort to it no matter what. This time, I, I really want to appeal to the value of the argument. I would like to win on the value of ideas. We have really, really, really got to start understanding what it means when people say, they're actually right in the wrong way. When people <clears throat> say their corner knows them better. Dude, that means there's a conflict of interest, basically, or pretty close to it. Right. This argument that the corner knows them better is so very much beside the point and actually backwards logic. What actually ends I mean, it's the exact argument that gets trotted out when bad things happen. Right. It's like that your defense of them is that that like the the last thing protecting them was you and you couldn't do it like. We would do a worse job. I don't really I don't I don't believe that someone who didn't know them as well would actually do a worse job. What, What could be worse? than letting them continue to go out there and take abuse. It's actually the worst case scenario. And in the worst case scenario, they try out that argument. And it's very revealing in a way that I think, I'm not saying her camp did that, but you, you, Daniel Cormier introduced it into the public consciousness, at least for this fight. But we've heard it many times. The corner knows them better. They're able to make better decisions. It's the opposite in many, many cases. Because they know them better and because they care about them deeply and because they train about them, they believe in their character and upside to the point of irrational 
commitment. That's the reality. It actually it actually inhibits them from making a more sober assessment of the state of things. To your point, not a dynamic finisher, not necessarily a knockout threat, not someone who's known in the case of Lauren Murphy to like jump guillotine or something like that and really can get that clamp very quickly and anyone's in danger anytime she's there. That's not really the way in which she fights. She's very good. She's very decorated, but those aren't her particular traits. She's taking a record level of abuse. Again, two 30-25s. If the idea was true that because they knew them better, we simply wouldn't end up in these circumstances. They use it as an ex- that argument is used to justify, frankly, unnecessary abuse. And it tells you that is the connection. The greater you know someone, the more you believe in their upside, the more you believe in what they're capable of to the point of irrational commitment, the more you're willing to let them go out there and not only take abuse in real time, justify it after the fact. The ideal, one more time for the people in the back, the argument that because the corner knows them better, you get better outcomes is matter of factly false. It is not true. If you're going to justify leaving her in there, you must have a better argument than that because that one clearly, clearly is the opposite of what they intend for yeah, it didn't to we, mean. Didn't we learn this already in Pennington Nunes? Only that fight, you actually had a fighter asking out in the corner saying no. So it's like even worse. But Right. You know, that's a title fight, so sometimes we suspend, you know, certain fears uh, out of the idea of having your moment. This wasn't a have-your-moment fight. I mean, nothing about it. And, and I hate that it's even overshadowed what Jessica Andrade did, which has come out in the higher of the two weight classes she populates when we were like, wow, why is she back in here? And looking dominant and gnarly as hell. I mean, look, this is a big win for her on the idea of if she wants to stay at 125, she's still a major player. Yes, I, I think that's true. And I think Lauren Murphy probably still has winning days in front of her. Again, um, it's more of the five-round beatings where you begin to get worried about someone being changed for the future, although three-round fights can do that sometimes too. I guess we'll have to see, to your point, Lauren Murphy, and it's a good part in many ways that she is very hard-headed and stubborn and forward-thinking and driven. Maybe maybe this will be all for naught. But just the reality is this. In MMA, there is a either an appetite or a tolerance of abuse <clears throat> that is distinct to me from fighting for sport. And I think a lot of people have a hard time telling the difference. Um, not going to say that you or I don't get that wrong time to time. I think we all get it wrong time to time. But I'm going to just be very clear. There is not enough awareness of the difference between weathering abuse for no good reason and what fighting and competitive sport looks like. It shouldn't be as hard as it is to me to distinguish between them. But here we are. Apparently it that, is. I think the people in the back hear you now, Luke. Okay. All right. I just, you know, I'm very tired. It's like, justify, here's all I want, BC. If you're going to send her back out there, and again, her corner didn't, didn't necessarily say this, but again, DC introduced it into the consciousness. If we're going to send fighters back out, give me a different reason. You know what I mean? Just give me a different, give me something like, um, I don't think this is too much punishment. Like, just tell me your judgment yeah. is off or something. But don't give me this bullshit like, we have this bond that gives me profound insight into the actual state of their medical condition. Dude, it does the fucking opposite. It makes you blind to Here's a it. question. I don't think this was in play in this one, but um, in general, does the corner get access to the performance bonus in terms of their percentage cut? Um, I know the manager might. I don't know about the corner. That would okay. be uh, situation dependent. Also, let's just say this too in defending the corner a little bit. Uh, referee Osiris Maya not having a great night. Not a great night for him. He's had a few bad nights, but cool this name. one was he. He's 
got a cool name at least. Very cool name. Osiris is his name. I mean, that's ODB territory, right? But the point I'm trying to make is he was the guy who messed up the Terrence McKinney mouthpiece situation earlier in the night, not giving it back to him in in a readily enough fashion, and then also was the one who just presided over this beating. And it's like, dude, what the fuck are you... What are you waiting on, my guy? Like, this is, you know where this is going. But Maybe he has a Valetudo background, Luke. There's different standards there. Right? I guess so. I guess, maybe, he's a, maybe he's a fan of Power Slap League. I don't know, BC. I can't really tell you. But bad judgment, I can tell you that. Uh, all right, but, that's it for our A lot of five. bad judgment in this MMA space lately, Luke. Uh, yeah, by the way, BC, are we going to get to the, they want to talk about the, the KO at Showboxing. You want to do that first? It's that, on the highlight. It's on the rundown here. Well, no, we teased it Save up it. top and said that it'd be in have you seen this shit well, okay they put it here i'm just telling you what they put in the rundown but okay, okay. all right bc want to remind folks we're getting closer to the end of the month and you know exactly what that means almost time to select the first ever money lion hammer of the month well not the first ever but the one for this month for those of you who may have missed it a few weeks back of course we're going to start highlighting undercard fighters whatever who don't get the recognition perhaps they deserved so our sponsor money lion agreed we came up with the hammer of the month which invites you guys, the viewers, to nominate which undercard fighter simply blew your mind and deserve to be rewarded for it. I think there are six days left to vote, so you can go to moneylion.com slash morningcombat to learn more how to enter. And again, I think we have for last week, Umar Nurmagomedov, Nurmagomedov Royman, uh, Villa, and I think I put in this week, BC, uh, Ishmael Bon or Ismael Bonfim. Who do you have? Uh, yeah, I had somebody from uh, this week as well, the heavyweight Gilton Almeida, Luke, who... Uh, who made it look easy. Talk about BC and LT making it look easy. Uh, Dude, he's coming on in this heavyweight division, Jotson Almeida. And as long as I pronounce that correctly, uh, he may end up holding that hammer, Luke, by the end of this month. We'll have to see what people think. We shall see. So you can hold your phone up to the screen right there. You can get the QR code. You can go to moneylion.com slash morning combat to learn more on how to enter. Get them in diggity donks. Okay. He's a scary animal for this division. He can wrestle, dude. Almeida? Yeah. Yeah, he's a beast. He's a beast. Um, all right, BC. Time for the diggity donks to ask us questions. It's time for DMs from them. Hee haw, hee haw. Good stuff. All right. Would you say that we've got mail viewers? We that's certainly do. DMs, probably. Yeah. BC, I love this question because I think it's a great one. This comes to us from at the real will underscore seventy four. What are your thoughts on the UFC two eighty three crowd? First of all, kind of sparse. But beyond that, he writes, pretty distasteful to shower Moreno with trash after his performance, but maybe worse than that, leaving prior to Glover's in-cage retirement. BC, what do you think? Yeah, I didn't love it all around. So, Luke, I heard I heard rumors on Twitter. Who knows if it's true? I wanted to bring it up that, that they say UFC overpriced the tickets on the local level there, which kept out a lot of the real fans and, and left some empty patches. Because you'd have to believe in real, of all places, first UFC card there in three years. Uh, 17 Brazilian fighters on the card, you'd have to believe that's an instant sellout, right? Yeah, and they didn't. And it was, it was, I'm not going to say it was poorly attended, but it, and it was, I would say it's decently attended, maybe even good. Yeah. Definitely not great. Um, but beyond I, that, look, what are you going to say about them throwing trash at Brandon Moreno? I mean, it's classless. Would you say, what was there anything in that when he was doing his post fight interview? I was uh, looking something up, not fully paying attention. Didn't he do some type of like Viva La Mexico, like, almost aggressively back at the crowd he said um viva uh, viva mexico uh perros uh viva like long live mexico dogs is what he called them okay. call, but i think he's not talking to them i think he's talking to like because they'll say viva mexico cabrones which means like 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Bastard, but they're talking to other Mexicans when they do that. So I'm, right. I'm not sure it just, who he was. It felt like, because look, they, they had booed him, it turns out, unjustly for beating their guy. And they thought it was an eye scratch. And the replays, when we really focused on that, we found out it was the punch that, you know, led to the end of the fight after the end of the third round. But I get a crowd just being upset. And then if he said something there that they may have taken the wrong way, you know, it's like, I understand it, Luke, but no, it's still, that's still a classless reaction. I'm glad Colby wasn't there, Luke, and there was no boomerangs involved. But um, uh, in terms of the Glover, did they, so were, did they leave? Uh, here's what I'm trying to figure out. Cause I heard this accusation. Did they leave during the fight thinking, Some did. thinking he's going to get stopped soon? Let's go ahead to the exit to start the car. Or was it while he was about to talk and they just were like, oh, we'll see you later. Thanks, Glover. I think Fun some fight. left early, but what really happened was remembered like it was it was pretty much academic by the time it was over. So then more leave, and then they interviewed obviously because he was the winner, Jamal Hill first, and I think they just streamed out after that. It was by the time they the mic got to Glover Teixeira, there was not a lot of people there. Dude, this is like I'll just say this. This is why I say every time when American fighters go there, like I love being in Brazil and they're getting booed. Yo, fucking stop doing that, man. The Brazilian MMA fans, I'll give them this. They they gave Shogun Hula a standing ovation. So I did like to see that. I thought that was great, you know, like to recognize the moment there for one of the all-time best. But, dude, the, the Brazilian fans are nationalists. Right? I mean, and, and every fan base is to an extent. But they're like hardcore nationalists. Like you're either Brazilian or you're not. And if you're not, you can kind of go F yourself. I, You know, they're not – it's not – I don't know why other audiences – try to even pander to them or why we consider them some of the best. Like they're the best if like a Brazilian guy wins or Brazilian lady <laughs> wins. But other than that, they're not even close to the best, which is not really yeah. true. Like in Ireland, I don't think you would get something like that. You would get, you would get, you know, booze in the the right circumstance or some people walking out or whatever. But in general, I, I just don't feel like you get the same overall <clears throat> level of disrespect for anyone who's not strictly Irish in that way. The Brazilian no, yeah, fans I mean, you're are very, you're very certainly much right. I just think there was something, there were some elements to it. If they didn't get the full picture of how the fight ended, then that comment, I, I get it. But um, the totality of it, Luke, I, I don't know if that's true about the tickets, but I hope that's not a direction it's headed because, you know, I've seen that in boxing routinely. And, you know, I mean, I can't tell you, remember the tail end of Floyd Mayweather's pay-per-view run? There were certain nights. It's like, I remember particularly his final fight before the McGregor fight, the Andre Berto fight, where... You know, there wasn't boxing fans in the arena. There was, like, Floyd fans. So there was a tremendous rematch in that co-main event. It was a, a classic. It was Roman Rocky Martinez against Orlando Salido. And they put on this war. And I think it ended in a draw. And I remember just looking around, and the crowd is just like, not here for that, Luke. And it, and 
I hope that's not the direction it goes because, you know, this was a special night in many ways and you want to see passionate fans in there who love the sport just as much as they love their country and, you know, and the fighters who fight under that flag. So, I, I mean, look, it's business, Luke. That's what that's what happens, right? I mean, it's business. I guess so, but I'm just tired of people like, what are some of the best crowds in MMA? It's like with the Brazilians. Well, sometimes, sometimes that's true. It's not what's really the true best, overall. What's the best city globally I mean, what's the, you know, the rankings of best cities globally in terms of just making that fight feel incredible? Is it, is Dublin and London like one and two, Luke? Yeah, I think they're up there. I will tell you now, this was a certain time and place. I don't know if it's true anymore, but I was there when St. Pierre fought Jake Shields in Toronto Toronto. with that giant crowd. Dude, that Toronto fans, they were good. They were real good. And the Canadian fans don't pull shit like that either, at least not at fights I've been to, so... And the you MSG know. crowds usually have that extra level feel too. It's a it's a it's a certain something something there for sure yeah. for sure. Uh, okay, from maybe Moncton Stan- UFC Moncton too. Luke. Yeah, I don't know gave about me, all that. Give me a certain from, feel. Yeah, from at stand underscore them underscore up underscore MMA. I mean, just the worst name ever. Why is there a culture in MMA where trainers almost never throw the towel to protect their fighter? This person writes, it's way more common in sports like boxing. Yet MMA corners consistently adopt the "if he dies, he dies" approach. Dude, that's actually a good. It's a good question because I will say I'm happy in general in boxing that things have been going more toward safety. Referees, even I mean, referees even sometimes piss me off. They don't even do a count. They jump in, teabag the guy, and wave it off. And you're like, okay, well, I would have liked to see him have a chance, but the ref felt that guy took enough punishment. I'd rather lean on the safe side, right? Um, why don't we, why is it, why is there not a culture for throwing in the towel, which is a part of boxing and it happens a lot, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big part of it. There's, there's the referee, there's the, I'm sorry, there's the cage side doctor stoppage between rounds. We're used to that, whether it's, you know, the BMF title fight or the one we saw with, uh, with Moreno just on Saturday. Have you ever, do you, can you remember a scenario in UFC in which that's happened at the elite level where in the middle of a round, a coach has like stood up and tried to get in the cage? Like, is that even legal? Yeah. In certain states, I think, or it, it was a time where certain states had banned it. It might be more universally um, uh, acknowledged. Now it's, you can do it in Nevada, certainly where, or, or, and this was under Nevada rules that cab MMA uses. So it doesn't necessarily have to be between rounds. Yeah. You can be in the middle. I think at certain times, um, I think the two biggest ones are one MMA is more volatile relative to boxing. So like if someone's four rounds deep and it's an eight round fight and you've just seen them getting whooped and you know, you, if you're their trainer and you know what they've got and what they don't, you know, which way this is going to go. The chance they're going to land a big punch is infinitesimal. Just, just close the show. The other one too, is this BC. And, and you know, to me, it's really been in many ways, we have been lucky dude, like in boxing, if you watch it long enough, you're going to watch people die. Yeah. Now you're just going to watch people die. The guy here, what was it, 2020, 2019 at the MGM National Harbor, BC, uh, just across yeah. the water from me here. Uh, Maxime, um, what was his last name? Glassoff, was that his name? Something like that? Yeah, um, I believe so. Yeah, he, you know, and this was a bout that was not, it, it should have been stopped for sure, and it was bad, but it wasn't like I've seen worse beatings, you know, and I just went, dude, once you watch that, man, you get a much different appreciation for the, the, the precariousness of all of oh, this. Oh, that's but not I just the guy's in MMA, name. Sorry, everyone's Luke. got like a balls out, fuck you, I can overcome anything attitude. And we're just we're just courting disaster, basically. It's Ma- uh, ex- apologies. It wasn't Maxime Vlasov, who is another boxer. It was Maxime Dadashev. And Dadashev. I apologize for Excuse that. Excuse me, apologize yeah. for that. Yes, it was the top of my tongue. But you get the idea. Absolutely. Uh, all right, from at Fahey.Liam. <laughs> 
well, you know this guy is not from America when he's got Liam in his name. I don't know a single Liam from the United States. If you see Liam, where are they from? England, maybe, I guess, the Australia, something like that. Liam's one of those names where like the Americans just don't do that. We don't name anyone Liam. All right. If it's with four-ounce gloves, BC, does Fury, speaking of Tyson Fury, absolutely destroy Francis Ngannou? Now, BC, you know this. He could be all just saying a bunch of BS, but he was asked about it recently. I think he was ringside for... One of the fights this weekend, I think it was yeah, the Eubank-Smith fight, right? Yeah, Liam Smith, Chris Eubank. Yeah, and so they asked Tyson Fury about it, and he mentioned, hey, I'd love to fight Francis Ngannou, four-ounce gloves. Let's make it spicy. What do you think, BC? I mean, I think he would. I just wonder, in this specific scenario, is he is he trying to push that narrative today to try to get Usyk to take less in the contract that they're currently negotiating. I don't know, but I do, I, you know, look, we talked about it a lot in the past, Luke related to this Ngannou situation. I do think Fury's crazy enough that he would almost want more danger in this. Cause he knows uh, the, the lure of more danger would bring in more eyeballs. I wonder if he just feels like that'll get the best out of him. Let's go in there. I'll show you, you know, my, my, he always says there, he comes from descendants of bare knuckle champions. So, um, the question there, though, seemed to be more from the viewer, more about how does that impact the fight? Do you think that doubles down on Fury's advantage, or does it bring Ngannou back in because there's less padding? Like, what, what I do you think it brings Ngannou back in a little bit because, um, especially if they mess with the rules with like dirty boxing and stuff. Yeah, you know, because if they, if they, I mean, this is all very pie in the sky, but I think that changes it. But I'll say this: the reason why I think that that matters is because you know for for sure Francis's knockout power translates with four ounce gloves. I think it would probably translate with 10 or 12, but like it's just a very sure thing. And dude, Tyson Fury gets, you know, all he does all that ducking and dodging and shit, but he takes risks sometimes and he gets hit. He gets hit. He's been yeah. dropped, you know, many times. Uh, and even a cruiserweight, who's it? Steve, Steve uh, Cunningham. Steve right? Cunningham, just, yeah. Yeah, he dropped, he dropped Tyson Fury. I didn't no, that was a he shocker. Was up. Yep, Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that was a shocking yeah. moment. I mean, the whole ring shook. It was it was wild. See what but, I mean? Uh, so like Francis, eh, I would still bet on Tyson Fury to win or whatever. But yeah, it changes a little bit. Do you think Fury would rather do this than put his title on the line? Not because he's afraid to lose his title, but more like he's just thinking, what's the best way we maximize eyeballs and money on this? I mean, I mean, we were texting this morning, right? And you had introduced the idea that he could be saying this to put pressure on Usyk to sign up quicker, or you know, uh, you know, Tyson Fury likes to bullshit with the media, so you have to be very, very careful. But I don't know; he does seem to be interested. And if he goes out there, BC, I'll say this: this is the question I would have for you, actually. If he beats Usyk, am I wrong in thinking it makes the Francis Ngannou fight more likely? Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I would believe that there's nothing stopping because there's nobody, there's nobody extreme waiting, knocking on the door. I know Joe Joyce just signed up to fight um, Wong Zhang Wei Li. What's the guy's name? Zhang Jalei. I'm sorry, I got to confuse. Yeah, he's fighting Joe Joyce. Yeah, as you said, yeah. Um, You know, and if he wins that, let's say he called. I mean, look, he's going to be in play as well if he keeps winning because of the you know big crowd he can draw in the UK. But AJ's not ready yet. So yeah, I think this this is the fight for Fury to go do something different, make money and. And, you know, it, it, if they make it an exhibition with mixed rules, it doesn't touch his box, his real boxing side at all. And he, so, yeah, I think he does the, exactly that. There you go. All right. I got to take then, a whiz so bad, Luke. And I'm like, do I stop the show and take a whiz live? Or so do how about I just... this? Let me answer the... Oh, wait, hold on. Wait, first of all, yeah, give me like oh. 30 seconds of your life. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. So then we'll go to at Jonathan to Doreen. 
Tudarian. I don't know how you pronounce this, but he says, we often praise a fighter with a good jab. What differentiates a good jab from a great jab? Uh, to me, it's just going to be the variation of it is one thing, right? For how many different ways can he do it? How much uh, offense can they set up behind it? Um, do they use their... It's also not just the jab itself, but the lead hand acting as potentially uh, hand trapping or pinning or... I mean, Errol Spence is the king of this. He blinds with it. He pins with it. He he does... He pulls down with it. He'll parry with it. And then behind it, he'll jab to the body. He'll mix up the jab to the head. It's like, in what ways is both the jab itself varied and valuable? To what extent does it stick? To what extent does it blind? How, ver- how, um, how much variety is there in the use? Does it come from the hip? Does it come from the shoulder? Can they vary between the two? So a good jab is one that can do some of those things that you can notice as actually reasonably affecting the contest or the round or any particular moment in the fight. A great jab to me is one that has a very dominating effect over the entirety of the fight that a lot of the successful offense is built around it. And it usually happens when it's used in a variety of ways, when it can be both um, a timing jab, a power jab, a dipping jab, all different kinds of jabs. And that jab is just has a, this pronounced effect over the course of a contest. Uh, I don't know if there's one rule that separates them. Perhaps individual boxing trainers have them. But to me, it's like a good jab is one that you can definitely use to win. Uh, a great jab is one that really defines the complexion of a fight. BC, would you disagree much with that? Yeah, uh, the difference is you use it as a weapon, right? Uh, I mean, that, that's yeah, well, that's what, what I mean. Some is to blind. Some is to power. You know, So some is to really genuinely hurt. Some is to trick. Some is to use it to pivot off. You, 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 yeah. can do all, it's, you can do so many things by someone who knows what they're like. Uh, Errol Spence to me, I thought I mentioned it with the pinning, the parrying, the blinding, the power to the body upstairs, putting everything else behind it. He's really, really crafty. Yeah, you could have an educated jab and be really smart and know how to use it to do different things. And that makes it a great jab. Or you could just have an old school power jab. Think Lennox Lewis, right? And that's a, think Gennady Golovkin. That's a weapon that you not only use to set up your power shots, but that is one of your power shots. So that's ultimately the difference. Um, But yeah, Luke, I mean, there's still a, a, a lot of evolution that needs to take place in terms of boxing in the MMA space. Yes. Right? We're, yes. We're finally just seeing some some you know added wrinkles and in, in, in certain guys or girls stand out more, but it's a long time coming. All right, and last but not least, from at Cubby's Fan Eighty BC. Yes. Since it's a wish you were here theme, what's the all time best song that clocks in over at ten minutes? So this is this is our boy Josh M. Luke. He's a big time listener here. He's the one who has the uh, "Wish You Were Here" album cover tattooed on him, slash on the other arm. Mm. So I saw this come in over Twitter last night, and I was like, "Ooh, I hope I hope the producers pick that." But um, it, he said the "Wish You Were Here" thing because that was the. Uh, did you see the album cover they put with our faces on it? They tweeted it out, Luke. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's incredible. It's incredible. So I love this question. And my knee-jerk reaction is always going to be Inagata DeVita by Iron Butterfly, like seven minutes of hypnotic, psychotic, you know, uh, psychedelic rock. But I actually took the minute and, and looked at this, Luke. And I could have, if you would ask me without looking up, I probably would have said like Coma by Guns N' Roses or The End by The Doors. But here's my real favorite. I love these type of ideas. Songs that were written for the studio, performed and put on an album. They just happen to be long as shit, 10 minutes or more. You see that all the time in jazz, jazz fusion, even progressive rock. Think like Yes and Rush. But in terms of regular rock, here I go, Luke. One Sunday Morning by Wilco. 
Elton John's Funeral for a Friend slash Love Lies Bleeding, which is the first track on Goodbye the Yellow Brick Road and is like Elton's attempt at doing like prog rock mixed with incredible jamming. Amazing. Listen to The Lion by Van Morrison. Shine on You Crazy Diamond by Pink Floyd, which is sort of the, you know, the influence in this question, how that's the first and fifth track. Both of them are over five minutes, uh, performed like a suite there. And uh, I got the low... The Low Spark of High Heeled Boys by Traffic and Sad-Eyed Lady of the Lowlands if you're looking for a ballad from Bob Dylan. Luke, do you have any, you know, uh, bite-your-tongue death metal classics here that that um, that clocked in above 10? Um, I would say you could do Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin. I think that's over 10, right? I don't believe it is. I believe it's in the 7 to 8 area. Ooh. Um, then the only thing I know for sure, I mean, I'm sure about this. Stevie Ray Vaughan has a cover of, uh, Voodoo Child. Yes. And it's from Carnegie Hall. And I think that one is post 10 minutes or right around it. And that one is. Yeah. I mean, well, if we're we're bringing in live tracks, that changes the entire conversation. But if we're going by, uh, studio production. So yes. I don't know many songs that are like over 10 minutes it's rare 755 is the length on stairway to heaven but it's it's it you know it's sort of it's in close, that category yeah. for sure um yeah. great great question from our guy josh right there big time it is music fan uh and that great question leads us now to a great portion of the show where we look at bc's feces oh yeah. our producers right freebird get the fuck out of here with freebird well first of all i don't think that is 10 minutes but if it was luke it would be number one on the list so maybe you can get the fuck out of here with freebird which is the greatest guitar solo in rock history not because it's oh, one solo here. it's three mind? it's three guitarists and dude when that when that when that solo kicks in in the second half of the song luke and they just go into the jam portion not only is that literally the greatest moment in rock and roll history listen, with, i'm know, all i listen i'm all about i'm all about you know leonard skinner talking about hey i hope neil young will remember a southern man don't need him around anyhow oh hey, nine, those, nine. that was that was amazing that was amazing but it's yeah. not the greatest rock solo in history. Okay, like, get the fuck you're you're really like, missing this. So it's it's nine minutes and five seconds. You're really missing this because you're probably caught up on some memory of the chorus of the first half of the song mixed with your anti-Southern politics because you know you grew up there half the time. So I get that. I just you told you at, I liked him when he was shitting on Neil Young for. So my point is this: you're wrong. The guitar solo. I don't I don't put it in the list of greatest guitar solos because it's three guitar players playing three separate solos mixed together. But it's Gary Washington does the most insane part. Oh, it's 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 incredible, Luke, but it's not 10 minutes. Um, So I was going to tell you that I had it keyed up at my wedding. You know, when they, they announced the wedding party and you come into like the reception hall. Right. Was this was this before or after someone played Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> well, before, because that was a big hit on the dance floor, Luke, after. But uh, I had it queued up where, you know, right when we opened the door and they said for the first time, the guitar solo on Freebird kicked in with the three guitars and, and you know, and how, I did long a little is, uh, how long is November rain? Uh, that is not 10, but that would have been on my list. Uh, it, I believe it's in the lower nines or high eights. That's, that's well. up there. That's up there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the, those are those epic, sweet type of songs. It just, ah, oh, they're, they're great. So many good ones in rock history, Luke. Okay. All right. We well, take us through. So you're so many. Oh, 855 for November rain. Ooh. Uh, okay. Take us through your BC's feces. Yeah, I scoured the globe um, this weekend, like I always do, but I didn't do it last week though. Uh, to uh, you know, search highs and lows, the in between, the good, bad, the ugly, all that, and combat sports, and a lot from beyond. Uh, they call this. Have you seen this shit? Oh, 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 God, oh, God. 
Well, so look, you didn't go to like, you know, some guy playing guitar at a bar and try to yell out free bird. And then he's like, here's a free bird. Like you didn't, you didn't do that exchange. You didn't, you didn't. No, I'm not totally brain damaged. All right, here we go. UFC 283, Luke from Hio. Uh, did you see Mel Quizael Costa, uh, going ham with Bruce Buffer during the introduction ahead of his UFC debut? Yeah, I should have saved some of that energy. <laughs> uh, yeah, it didn't go his way in the end, but that, that's about as fired up as I've seen someone get. I mean, going nose-to-nose with, with Buff there, that's, that's, that's interesting. All yeah, right, Luke, a little much for me. You're, I hope you hit your Bonefeem brothers parlay on Saturday because Ishmael Bonefeem stopped me from uh, another bad – or kept me going down the road of bad picks in our pick segment here. What he did to Terrence McKinney was just oh, – ah, that was gnarly. Just, I mean, fooled him with the right knee and then sent him into the land of wind and ghosts with the left. Good night. I, I hope McKinney's okay. We know he's going to come back and, and look to, to hey, throw big. What, like he what always did you does, make but... of his dispute with Barstool Sports? I didn't know the origin of it, but I saw them send him, him to hell on Twitter. Yeah. So basically what happened was, I guess <clears> one of their guys picked against him. Nothing like too bad from what I could see. I could be wrong, but what I saw was just you know standard, he's not going to win types. And he didn't take too kindly to that. Fighters, please don't like find people saying things about you on Twitter that you don't have to respond. It's just too much bandwidth to give to someone. But in any case, yeah. I guess he responded to it, and then he gets knocked out like this. And then Robbie Fox, of all people who I know, put up a headline being like, you know, despite challenging Barstool sports, he gets knocked out in you know, the first round. Poor form by Barstool or not? Yeah, it is, but that's sort of their, their lane in some degree too, and it gets them attention. And, you know, they're already... They're already in a gray area in MMA space to begin with because, you know, their their former journalism is is you know open celebration and cheering. And you and I have met Robbie Fox. He's actually really cool. It's like nice, you wanna nice you wanna almost not like him, but he's really cool. So I re- I have respect for his hustle and who he is. But you know, you got they they bought in on Patty and uh, they like they literally bought in on Patty and uh, and Molly Meatball. So it's a different space. But yeah, I also don't like that and. You know, they're kind of celebrating on this guy getting, cl- you know, I mean, look, a guy that goes in the cage and gives his all and gets knocked cold. Yeah, we may celebrate that here on Have You Seen This Shit, but, you know, I never want to go to that next level of, like, you know, cl- clowning somebody for going in there and giving their all. Like, are you kidding me? I'll say this. I don't I didn't agree with it, but I will say that, like, that was them getting something of a taste of what it's like in bigger sports because <clears throat> we have this sort of treatment where MMA fighters, I mean, I'm, listen, they get savage. Don't get me, don't get me wrong, but not so much by the press relative to what NFL players get by the NFL press or mm-hmm. what NBA players get by the NBA press. I mean, they get a lot more scrutiny, but it's usually a little bit softer. How about the uh, soccer press? A little harder. I'm sorry. Say again. Soccer press is crazy too, right? Yeah, they're in, Oh, they're insane. They'll call you a bum, disloyal piece of trash. Like, I mean, they go crazy, but what point I want to make was, I didn't agree with it. I would never write a headline like that, but you know, that's what it's like. If, I mean, they would do that. If it was like, if an NFL player went at them on Twitter and then, you know, got a quarterback and then got sacked and pulled out of the game, they'd hammer them. They'd hammer them. So, well, unless I see Barstool showing up, uh, you know, courtside, like in, Acting as hard as Shannon Sharp, I won't have respect for him. Luke, okay? Shannon Sharp goes hard on the. Shannon on the Sharp's there to take all the receipts. He's, you know, <laughs> you want to cash him right now? I'm here, bro. Okay, bring Sh- Shannon Sharp's too. like 155 years old and looks like he could bench press the earth. I mean, he's yeah. shocking. He's like he's he brings a different flavor to this hot take business that we're in, Luke. Where he'll actually show up at your game and uh, and be willing to tell you about it. Uh, and well, hand it the, out. Was he one of the greatest tight ends ever? 
you know, oh, Super yeah, Bowl winning oh, yeah. player. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's great. All right, let's go to uh, Bruno the Hulk Fajeda, Luke, heavyweight making his UFC debut. Not a heavyweight, excuse me. Uh, Luke, this KO1 at Robocop was like, damn, bro. Yeah, this one surprised me too. Robocop, I thought, was winning this fight, but this is what commonly what happens. So I picked a Robocop to win because what was happening before this happens a lot with him, where he was getting touched up and he kind of switches stances a lot more than is advi- uh, advisable. And he gets kind of like, he's a little bit loose with his positioning. But he's clever, too. Watch the finish one more time. I want you to pay attention to something. He uses the fake of the right hook right there to step closer. And show it one more time if you can. Pay attention to the right foot of Fajeda. Right? Let's run it back. He's going to step. Watch him step to the outside. So he's here. He uses this hook to take a step forward and to the outside, which creates a direct lane for the left. Right Watch him dip, step, and oh, go. Oh, wow. It's yes. nice, nice, Woo. nice work from him. You, you dude, can't he take lo- it away. As you mentioned last week, he had looked good in that contender series. Um, dude, this was a night for everyone Brazilian to come out and make something happen, Luke. You know, I mean, there was there was literally a Brazilian fighter in every fight, and two of the fights had, had you know, country versus country there. Um, a lot of you people would, You would have thought the Brazilians moments. in attendance would have been happier, but I guess not. Dude, we may have to re-examine our, our Hammer of the Month and add Bruno Fajeda to this too, Luke. Yeah, he's he's on that list. Well, does do you take him off after this celebration dance, Luke? This is what I really want to know. Is it some kind of samba that I don't know? I don't know. I don't I don't know. But uh it was a little surprising. Is this a hey. is this a Fortnite dance I should know about BC? Hey, have your moment, Bruno, okay? We're not we're not supposed to talk about that. Hey, guy, in but... fairness, that fucker came in on less than two weeks' notice and put out Robocop with one yeah. punch. Yeah, I'd be yeah, I'd he's be the Hulk. Too. He's the Hulk indeed. Hey, Johnny Walker had a big win, stopped Paul Craig. Craig, excuse me, Paul Craig. And uh Luke. Can we, did can you we see... stop that? It's Craig. I mean, I'm sorry. It's our word too. It's Craig. Yeah, you're right. It's our word too. It's it's at a soin you. Yeah, you're right, Luke. That's our word, too. Okay, you know? do you know people not... No, stupid. This is you getting the argument exactly backwards. Do you know people here from America named that? Of course you don't, motherfucker. It's from Nigeria. That's the point. It's like, I know That's people named... I know people named Grasso. I can call her that, all right? No, no, I see, know. But, I, but see, I don't... Once again, not understand the argument. I admit I got that one wrong. That one's Grasso. I get that one wrong. Luke, do you understand this argument? Johnny Walker was so excited that he stopped Paul Craig... And he showed us the full money. Anybody wants some can get some, Luke. The whole team helped out. Can we, I mean, can he stop gyrating and cavorting like an Instagram thought on his way to the cage, please? I would really. <laughs> I mean, yeah, dude. I less, less Johnny Walker, look at me. Less of your dick and balls would be great. Okay. What, please, what, do, you, what do you think about on Wednesday, February 8th, Luke, at uh, King's Place in London? If when they announced me to come out for the live show that I got our cameraman holding holding me like this as I'm in a speedo with uh Yeah, with a it's going to have to be the cameraman because it's not going to be me. Okay, okay, Luke, there you go. Uh, Walker also celebrated with his worm dance. He didn't do the full dive that hurt his shoulder last time, and DC still called him out anyway, but uh, you got to be an right. athlete I was like, to you got to be kidding me with this. Yeah, that's... Uh, if you act like that in public, what is he like in the sheets, Luke? That's the question, right? Why don't you, you know go? Why don't you go bang him and find out? Yeah. <laughs> hey, speaking of Johnny Walker, he's strong as shit, Luke. Yeah, why don't you? Why don't you comment on this six hundred sixty-one pound deadlift he pulled off? Did let's you see, see this? Let's see, let's see him. So it's not. It's not really a deadlift. It's a trap bar deadlift, which is not the same. Luke, I don't know a wrist lock from a wrist watch. All right. Let's see. Does he set his lats? Sort of, not really. Let's see. 
Uh, he's strong, but that's not a real. That doesn't really prove he can do six sixty one. Dude, Phil Sims would kick your ass for how you talk bad about his pull ups. Okay, Dude, you can. Okay, here's here here's the Luke Thomas challenge. Please go find between now and Wednesday's show a deadlift expert who tells you I'm wrong that that's the same as deadlifting from a conventional bar right. that goes straight across versus the handle position being this way from the side. It's actually more of a squat than it is a traditional deadlift because it's a hex bar. You don't know what you're talking about, BC. If Welcome. Ronnie Coleman says gloves are just fine with him, Luke, I'm not going to argue with the man, okay? okay. Well, 99% of the other industry will tell him he's, you know, he's not wrong, but it's needless. Uh, Luke, we mentioned it early. Wow, what a moment there in the Showbox main event, a triple header from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania to kick off the 2023 season. The show's been going every year since 2001, bringing in prospect versus prospect. In this case, unbeaten David Stevens against unbeaten Sean Hemphill. Luke, at the time that round eight, the final round kicked off, we didn't know who was ahead on the cards. Uh, this fight was in the balance and Ronnie Shields coach David <laughs> Stevens, 11-0 coming in from down the street in Reading, Pennsylvania, gave us a magical moment. Let's go back and relive it here. Here's the audio. Get nasty. Mas macho right There's a big left hand right behind it. Another combination. Goes down goes You want to continue? Walk this one. The third time Hemphill's been down as a professional. You're going to let it go on. Hemphill is done. Not going to take much. That's it. That's it. Dynamite. It's dynamite in Bethlehem. Unbelievable. That's how you make your name known. In a star studded division at 168 pounds, 22 year That was magic. Is that you talking over everyone there? <laughs> <laughs> Are you surprised? No, great. Uh, loved loved my broadcast team as always. Uh, Steve Farhood, Barry Tompkins, Raul Marquez, you heard us on there. But Luke, Barry Tompkins. Great, it was a great call. It was a great call. I'm, te I'm teasing you. I can't say this enough about my colleague. He was my he was the first boxing announcer I ever knew in the 80s when I got into this sport, Barry Tompkins. Back then working for HBO, then ESPN. I mean, he's worked everywhere, Luke. Uh, he was the voice of boxing for me as a kid. You may remember, Luke, he was the voice of boxing in Rocky IV. He called Drago versus Balboa there. To be in the spot I'm in in my career now and be blessed to do this job and to have him sitting next to me at 82 years old and you heard how, how good his fastball still is right there in the big moment... Man, that's a that that was a special time on Friday night, and it was you know it was a great fight, and Twitter was buzzing, and it's just another great moment in Showbox's 21, 22 year history there. But uh, dude, that that's a you know I texted you after that's a that's a different kind of drug being right in the midst of that. You know what I mean? Having yeah, a having two, a part in that. Two seconds left in the bout. Two, two seconds. Whew! Reminds you why you love the sport. It really does. It's one of those moments, right? Although I will say this about the referee, I appreciated that because you see this. I, I'm uh, I'm told that Muay Thai referees are actually very gifted at this. They're very gifted at catching the falling uh, like KO'd or whatever fighter's head before it can slam to the mat. They can kind of ca catch their fall, and he did that here, which I thought was very impressive. The one thing he didn't do, BC, which I was I, I didn't know I, the fight could have been stopped the first time. I made it more dramatic in the end that he didn't. And again, he did catch the guy. 
But like typically, and I'm not a trained boxing referee, but one thing I always, always watch for them to do is they'll take the wrists of the boxer, they'll kind of shake them to see how sturdy the response is. Yeah. And then a lot of times they'll back up and say, walk to me. He didn't ask him to walk to him. And so Hemphill was still kind of lean and gangster lean. Well, he, said he, he made him take ropes. a step to the side instead. He made him take a step to the side. I know, so but the, I mean, if you're bouncing against the ropes, though, it doesn't. To me, it doesn't count. Yeah. Like you got to be able to move off of him, and th- uh, he paid for it. But you know. I think that was referee awareness because, you know, you could have stopped after the first knockdown, and there were a lot of people that came out on Twitter and said that was Sean Clark, the referee from Pennsylvania. A lot of people came out and said, you know, oh, he should have done this, should have done that. But if if even though the time shouldn't factor in, meaning when everyone remembers 1990. Hey, who's uh, Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. against Meldrick Taylor? Taylor winning until the final 10 seconds, and, you know, Chavez knocks him down, and he gets up, and Richard Steele looks in his eyes, and there's, you know, two seconds left on the clock, three seconds left, whatever it was, and Steele's like, no, I'm stopping the fight. You don't, you know, you don't look right. And people are killing him, going, man, you got to know the situation. There's, you know, if, if that goes the distance, two more seconds, Taylor wins the fight. And the true call should be that time shouldn't take part. The true call should be if right. you look at somebody and they're done. I do wonder if that was the ref, though, just going, okay. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. He looks, he looks good enough. Let's see if he can finish. There's two seconds left and boy, he got, you know, he got caught with a whirlwind combination there, but the referee catching him. I mean, does that make up for it, Luke? He was, he was a little it's, liberal and let him go, but then he caught him. Yeah. What I would say is, um, it, I don't know if it makes up for it, but it certainly shows that, like, you know, I, we have to be careful with our criticism of the referee. I think, in general, he did a fine job. I think the yeah. last part of the judgment was questionable, but it shows you that, they, that he caught him. You know, he wasn't... If he had, like, just said, keep going and just let him crash through the ropes or something, that would have been bad. But he was there. He was on top of it. Questionable call, but not a, not a terrible one. Now, I, the, the guy who won, David Stevens, I had him ahead by a point entering the final round. Most people, though, had Hemphill ahead, and so most people thought that was Stevens rallying from the brink to save the fight. Turns out he was up by three points on all three judges' scorecards. So it was like the drama. I don't want to say the drama was unnecessary. You know, you know, neither fighter knows in that moment what's going on, but they 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 both put it in their hands and had a great round and a great finish to that fight. Damn. Damn, you love that stuff. So we'll see what David Stevens can do. He's only had 12 pro fights, just 22 years old, but that's a big uh, knock on the door of the bigger names in the division down the road. Uh, let's keep it going, boxing this weekend. Uh, we didn't preview it, Luke. We probably should have, but Liam Beefy Smith and Chris Eubank Jr. had a crazy trash talk filled lead up to their fight. And surprisingly enough, Liam Smith, who we know he won a title at 154, but he's up at a bigger weight against a much bigger puncher. Dude, he sent Eubank to hell here in round four to take the upset KO victory. Are you moved at all, Luke? See, he made him walk to him, although that wasn't much better. He falls over again, but he does he count does he count him here? No, he just waves it. Okay, yeah. I was surprised. I was surprised. Yeah. I didn't I wasn't surprised Smith won, but I was surprised he stopped him in what was it, four? Yeah. I couldn't absolutely. believe that. Absolutely. And you know, Liam had accused uh 
had accused uh, Chris Eubank Jr. of being gay leading up to it in the press conference. It got a little messy there. And then, you know, Eubank came out with a gay pride armband on during the weigh-in, which was a nice nod back. And and then he accused Liam Smith of cheating on his wife. Look, it got pretty gross, but everybody yeah. was well, cordial. Well, again, this is what I mean. It's like everyone killing Jamal Hill. I'm not saying you shouldn't kill him, but it's like, you know, <laughs> which one of these guys doesn't have retrograde ideas? I'm, I'm still trying yeah. to figure that out. And, you know, the, the, the experiment that's going on with Chris Eubank Jr. with Roy Jones Jr. as his trainer, I don't know. I didn't love it this time. It's just like, you know, very few people can be Roy Jones because of how just incredibly blessed he was athletically and how hard he worked on his craft. And he just did things that, you know, you would never advise of a young boxer to do. Chances he took, positions he put him in because it's Roy Jones and his quick twitch fiber was insane. You know, Chris Eubank's a good athlete, and he can punch, but... He's uh, not that. He did yeah, need he an overhaul. Really. Yeah, he did need a style overhaul, but what he really needs is a, a pure boxing style. He got really far on just being a barbaric puncher, and, you know, this transition, it's just not working. I don't know. I don't know what he has left, Luke. He's still young, but That's I don't know how... That's the other part, how... too. I don't, I'm not quite yeah. sure either. It's interesting. Um, hey, let's transition into when there's a pinata involved, and we laugh a lot in this uh, segment usually, Luke. Here we go. This is great. Oh, oh, oh right into the drink. Oh, right to the pills, and then he got a, then he got to soak them there in the. Uh, and then the there's that woman's ass who I definitely wasn't. Looking <laughs> at. Oh, dude, this lady went like full, you know, three two count type of cut on that Luke. She went, she didn't have a blindfold either. Hey, why don't you go party in more indoor pools when it's bright and sunny outside, you fuckos? Well, that's Florida living, Luke. Okay, uh, all right. Hey, let's go to the karate, uh, karate show here. You like this, Luke, when they break boards and shit? Nah, not really. Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> Look at the guy in the background. What is he doing, Luke? He's doing is kettlebell he... cleans. So those are kettlebell cleans. During the event? Show. What is he praying oh, that, for? Okay, rain? So that was a snatch. He just did a snatch. Yeah, he's doing kettlebell snatches. All right. I guess so. This is like the this looks like a like a high school talent show or something. Damn, that guy got served. Wow. Okay, there we go. Hey, combat sports stars have varying reactions to when you erect a statue of them, Luke. Um Deontay Wilder visited his statue in Tuscaloosa. Is he still uh, having sex with that statue? <laughs> yeah, he is. So he made out with it when they when they, you know, unveiled it. And he went back to get some inspiration. And, I mean, you know, it's his statue. Luke, you can do whatever he wants to it. But he gets very intimate with it, you know? I, I You know, <laughs> that's just that's second base where I come from, Luke. I got to tell you, there's something going on here deeply psychological. And I'm not sure I really understand what it is. <laughs> but it, there's, it's there's intense. Yeah, it's intense lot, just the yeah, same. That's right. It really, dude, that statue meant everything to him. I will well, say that. Let's go to MMA. GSP got one in his hometown of St. Isidore, Quebec. Uh, we've seen him there before, Luke, but he went back recently to put that the other GSP in a RNC. That's a little different than what Deontay did, but, you know, it's still intimate, Luke. It's still pretty aggressive. <laughs> did he Did he squeeze the nipples of this one? Uh, I, bet you, I bet you they were uh, harder than a witch's tit, Luke, okay? Colder. For folks who don't know, there was a while where everyone on Team Jackson's, including our own Rashad Evans, when Buffer would be calling their name, like, and fighting out of Albuquerque, New Mexico, and George St. Pierre would do it too, they would tweak their nipples to turn like the high beams on or whatever. 
Yeah. And uh, and it was fucking weird. It was fucking it weird. Is, it is weird. Hey, good transition to more weirdness. BKFC had some gnarly press conference moments in the last week. Uh, this was the promotion announcing Knuckle Mania 3 that's coming in February. And Lorenzo Hunt and Mike Richmond, uh, they had a moment here. Let's watch. Take that fake ass gold off. I can see blah, the green on your skin right here. Blah, Take blah, that fake ass gold off. Blah, 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 bro. I don't know why you took this fight. I don't know why they sanctioned this fight. This is a terrible Because terrible they don't think you're shit. Thing. That's why. And I just, I just wanted everybody to see wrong. what Mike Richmond is up against. Take, take, we take, are two yeah. different, totally different people. Take that fucking two chain Two different off. men, two different weight classes, two different monsters. He should have stayed. If you, if you got, you can't be that stupid. You can't be that stupid. You're stupid and Oh boy, oh boy, where's Dave Schaller when you need him? Does that make you want to order the pay-per-view? No, can't say that it does. Uh, but I feel like this is what by, should happen by law at every BKFC presser. I think so. Um, I don't know the gentleman. Mike Richmond, pref- by the way, former Marine. Yes, uh, not an X one, though, that's for sure. Uh, remember that dude, Clay Burns? He's a he's a boxer. His nickname is Third Degree Burns. He wears, like, Marines-colored, uh, inspired boxing out. He, he was on the Showbox Undercard. Remember we saw that dude that time in Brooklyn? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Yes. That guy reps the Marines hard, Clay Burns. All right. He does. Uh, Luke, then Hector Lombard won on Friday or Saturday, whenever this fight card was in Florida. And some dude came out and pulled a pro wrestling run in. I don't even know this guy's name. Maybe you can tell me. Let's watch this. And you see a clown jumps over the fence and, you know, attack you. What are you going to do? I'm pretty sure you're going to do the same thing. You shot your fucking mouth. You shot your fucking mouth. Nobody don't want to hear you talk. Look, who was that? That wasn't that was in uh, Lorenzo Hunt, right? I don't know who that was. I mean, I saw Luis Palomino putting the table back together. Shouts to Luis Palomino. Um, and uh, yeah, dude, I mean, this just feels like. <laughs> This is like it's, the this promotion is the equivalent of like the movie Roadhouse, Luke. Remember where Jeff Healy band was in there behind the fence? Just, they like, should just make it like real pro wrestling. And what I mean by that is the fights are real or whatever, but then just sell it being like, yo, this guy banged so and so's wife, you know, oh, that's really yeah. why they're they're angry at each other, you know. Uh hey, let's go back to one championship, Luke. They had a uh Bantamweight Muay Thai title bout involving you know this guy Nong O? Yeah, Nong O is a is a is a horse, man. This guy Dude. is a fucking beast. Look what he did to Alaverdi Ramzanov. Yeah, he uh, he did terrible things to him. Four ounce Muay Thai in the it was this was in Lumpini Stadium, which is like you know a cathedral to the sport of Muay Thai. That in the Rajadamnern Stadium. Oh. And uh, yeah, he hurt him bad. He hurt him real fucking bad. Dude, he folded him up, man. Yeah, Nongo doesn't the... play. He doesn't play. Yeah. Damn. All right. Hey, look, it's time to rate that tat. That always gets you fired up. Um, 
Israel Adesonia has added both a neck and face tat to the collection. Uh, I got to get your thoughts here. So the neck tat I like a lot, actually. It's really well done. I do like the neck tat, uh, but I'm not a big fan of the face tats. Now, I will say this. If you're going to get them, getting them on the curvature of the eyebrow is actually a fairly unique way to hide it. Although like I didn't Perry realize has this. it. Mike Perry has that, okay? Mike Perry has it. Uh, also, I, I guess he's got one on the right side of his eye now. Uh, maybe I'm misreading that. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm, uh, for the face, I'm in when it matches the facial structure and it's kind of on the perimeter of the face. I don't mind that. But when you start getting into like the center of the face, that's when I don't really like it. That's aggressive. Yeah, it's very aggressive. But he's about that life, Luke. Okay, so but what am I But the neck gonna... tat is sick. I like the neck What if he got a circle around his uh, his right nipple? Would you... Like, just to say, like, I'm in on the joke. Would you be into that? Nah, because then it's a little too, right. like, owning the joke too much at that point. Uh, Luke, I've been told that we have Mr. Hebos potential for the next one, but this will be up to you. You know Amanda Serrano's brother-in-law slash trainer slash manager, Jordan Maldonado? Mm-hmm. He got a tattoo based on a, a kind of like a motivation bet that if Amanda unified titles in her last fight he would get her on one arm and get both sisters, and he's married to Amanda's older sister on the other. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, well, it's fresh, so I see how it's purplish, so we need to see how it's going to heal. Um, don't love it. Parts of it are okay, but don't could, love could it. Could you go back to the other one here, Long Island Luke? Yeah, that one I really don't like. Um, right. It's way too dark, and... Um, I, I will just say this getting portrait work like that is you have to have a really, 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 really special person do that the correct way. And uh, I just don't feel like people pay top dollar for it like they should. Okay. If I ever get you or not, you, you and I on me, Luke, with the MK logo, I want Sean Brady's guy. So it's funny you mentioned that. Actually, Sean Brady and I have been talking. I think that guy's going to end up doing my sleeve. Wh- which arm? My left arm. That's why my right arm has like bits and pieces and stuff, and this one has yeah. nothing. I'm left-handed. I've actually been saving everything for a single sleeve. Um, have you been inspired at all by our cameraman on Morning Combat, Tristan, completing his sleeve on his left arm? Yes, but he. I don't know if he got his, like, it, it, it runs the full length of his sleeve, but I don't know if it's like a sleeve design. It just yeah. is a bunch of designs that, like, ended up kind of becoming a sleeve. The way he connected it was cool, though. There's a lot of spirit animals yeah. on that arm. Yeah, I mean, he yeah. put some thought into it. Don't misunderstand me. He clearly put some thought into it, but it's a little bit different. Also, right. his is black and gray. Like, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm going to get Japanese. Okay, if you don't love that last one, you're bound to love this one. Do you remember former heavyweight boxing title challenger Arthur Spielka of Poland? He got knocked yeah. out by Deontay, out by Deontay Wilder. Yeah. Um, Luke, he went the full ass, <laughs> the full thing. He did it, Luke. Okay, I'll say this. It's a really well done tattoo. So really um, well done tattoo. Pretty, I just uh, I gotta tell you, like the marijuana leaf with the Hanya mask with the Raiden, um, it's a little much for me. I'll just it, it's, <laughs> there's a lot about it that's much. I mean, that's that's creeping up the old uh, you know, I mean, I'm not into that, Luke. It's not my it's not just not my thing. I mean, it's I'm not, not even really... that. It's like the Hanya mask, uh, like with the negative spacing of the marijuana leaf, it's well done, but it's like artistically, who the fuck would want that on their back? Um 
Uh, well, uh, even even the direction that you love, which is this, not maybe not this tattoo, but this style. No, this, like, I, I like traditional Japanese. This no, is I don't, this is I don't neo traditional mean, shit. I don't even mean the technique or the color or the patterns. I mean just putting a scheme down your lower back and ass. To me, unless I'm a professional fighter where I'm always showing, you know, from my waist up, bare back all the time, then it's really part of your uniform and you can make it look badass. But if I'm me, Luke, average Joe. Who's going to look at my ass? I'm not showing it off. Why am I going to waste the pain, money, time to put in this, Luke? Is this guy well, planning on being case, naked a lot? So you could see the dead bodies of conquered uh, other shoguns that you have ostensibly slayed. Well, I even have that question put, to ask put, about put, anybody put, you put, know. Put it back uh, full screen. Put it back full screen. Those are those are the. It's an army of dead shoguns. He's either leading or he's killed. I think he's killed. Okay, but uh, seriously, answer me this. If I'm getting a tattoo, it's for me because I want it to look cool. I want other people to see it. And when I look at it, I want to like, you know, whatever emotional connection I'm building there, I want to feel it. Right. But if I put something on my back and I don't regularly have my shirt off, explain that, Luke. Explain why that's awesome. Because it more naturally fits the body in the way Japanese suits will go either through the buttocks, through the back of the thighs or all the way to the back of the ankle. Right. That's the whole idea. It's a it's a continuous escape. And just stopping at the belt line is actually an arbitrary way to stop. It actually flows much better with the body all the way through, and you can scale the art through that in a much more dynamic way. If Robbie Lawler attempted to finish off his lower back and he asked you to be the, the consult on that for advice, <laughs> would you would you do it for free? I tell him to go to Zapatat and just just get it off. I mean, you don't right. need it anymore. All right, let's wind this thing down. We're giving them a lot of ourselves today, and I've enjoyed every single second of it. Uh, let's go to this throwback. Rolling Stones on stage. Check out how Keith Richards reacts to this fan trying to pull a run-in on old Mick. <laughs> that just goes back to business like nothing happened. I love that. He, love he held that. on to that guitar like it was the last needle of heroin that he was going to get that week. <laughs> Yeah, but look at his reaction. He's not to kick, not to push, not to run. He just takes people the don't ends. understand. I, I don't know. I don't. The kids today just don't appreciate this, dude. I'm going to be very, very clear about this. We're now living in 2023 BC. Tell me if what I'm saying is in any way exaggerated. Comedians, late night hosts, you name it. In the 90s, and I'm talking late 90s, early 90s, were making fun of Keith Richards for being so strung out on drugs. Yes. That he had no future. And here this motherfucker is in 2023. Still yeah. kicking. I remember Dennis Larry's No Cure for Cancer when they went on that rant about Keith Richards said kids should not do drugs. Keith, we can't do any more drugs because you already did them all. Yes. You got to wait till you die and smoke your ashes. If only he hadn't stolen from Bill Hicks, Luke, that I would be allowed to say that that's the greatest. I've never told you this. I've actually read two books time. on Bill Hicks and I have all of his albums. Oh, wow. So he stole. So Dennis stole everything, right? Yeah, he did. Well, he stole No Cure for Cancer. I don't know. But other yeah, stuff, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, let's go to the Swedish national hockey team. Here's how they warm up in the tunnel. Your thoughts? Perfect transition. All right. That's a little much. That's a little... <laughs> <laughs> that's not that's not what that's not what we do uh for pre MK. All right, <laughs> pregame oil changes right here. Hey, let's go to the kids' birthday party. Watch check out Spider Man's asshole, Luke. <laughs> do I really want to? <laughs> oh, Spider Man's got itchy butt, huh? <laughs> no, he's got he's got Oh a... the kid. <laughs> Yo, Cochino, wash your hands, little one. 
Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Hey, you love gender reveals more than anyone, Luke. I got a low-budget gender reveal for you. Your thoughts on this one. This is going to be great. They should all be low-budget. What the (laughs) fuck? (laughs) What do you think it's going to be, Luke? Blue or pink? I oh, <laughs> it's a boy! It's a boy, dude! Yeah! <laughs> oh my god! All right, hey, time for MMA fighters. Just, and- just send, just shoot that family into the moon. Just let them live there. Uh, I don't know if that was done in satire or or real. I'm kind of scared if it if it is real. Let's go to MMA fighters in the wild. Here's Cyril Gunn impersonating the 209. Not bad, right? Actually, this is pretty good. He's got that sort of loose mannerism. Yeah, All right, pretty good. Go. That is pretty good. Let's go to the gym. Here's Islam Mahachev showing that there's more than one way to do things, Luke. Okay? You need to wear gloves to get fit? You can do that. Well, he's wearing actual MMA gloves. Is that legal under your terms? Uh, if he's doing it cross-training, yes. Floor right. presses. His floor press looked terrible, by the way. Uh, two weeks ago, Luke, UFC fight night in Vegas. Did you hear that rant that Abdul Razak Al Hassan went on, going after our guy New Manza? Let's let's go back to that. Before Buckley's last fight against Chris Curtis, him and Chris kind of made a, an agreement that they wouldn't shoot for takedowns. So. That's exactly what he did with it. And his bitch ass for my power. It's like I don't want this fucking guy doing that. I'm gonna take him. You, you are a bitch, Buckley. I hope you see this. You are a bitch. If I see you in the street and you talk shit, I swear to God, I will show you the fucking African way. I swear, I will smack you. The f- I will smack the fuck out of you. I swear. I'll treat you like a mm, you. You are a bitch. Sorry. Yes, I want to rematch with that fucking bitch. I think you so can I end that. Think- I'm sorry for the game that I. Uh, it goes on and on in that same theme. I'm told it's two minutes and 30 seconds. Uh, Luke, that was very similar to that rant you heard that taxi driver do in the streets of D.C. that time? No, the streets of New York. Yes, yes. Where I left the village idiot on 14th Street, and then the cab driver got in a fight with someone crossing the street, and he told him, don't F with me, mother effer. I'm third world. <laughs> and threatened to stab him. Dude, Al, Al Hassan wanting to show him the African way. By the way, I, th- I read that Numanza said on IG that he's going to cut down to welterweight. Good move. I think in it's your a good eyes? idea. Or at least I'd, I'd be curious to see how it goes because I think his frame is not ideal for uh, 185. Interesting. Uh, here's Sean Strickland catching up with the Detroit Urban Survival dude. Yeah, but then they had the dust up afterwards. No, no, no pun intended, because this guy's called Dust. Where <laughs> I, I don't know, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if it's a bit, but where Sean was kind of antagonizing him, and like, or actually, the guy was like, you know, we could fight in the desert, and I would win. And Sean's like, are you out of your, are you out of your fucking mind? I would, <laughs> I would like. And he's right. He was like, I'd absolutely kill him. By the way, getting an update on Twitter shows how much I know about Japanese. I still have some work to do. Quote, those aren't marijuana leaves, but Japanese maple leaves, which are in line, obviously, with the fuller design. So there you go. For Artur. All right. Hey, let's go to the living room here, Luke. We haven't had any white people take really hard falls yet this week. My favorite. Oh, look at this hefty. (laughs) Big call. Oh, God. Yo, yo, Big Bertha, you got to practice your break falls, young lady. (laughs) Uh, Yo, smoke them hey, listen, look, I just, I just want to take, take a moment to just look at this. It's like, look, you're a big fat person. Okay. <laughs> just acknowledge it. You're a big fat person. And not only that, you're like top heavy. You look like Danny DeVito and Batman too. <laughs> oh, 
Oh. Get the fuck <laughs> off the thing with wheels. You, oh, I mean, just stop. Just stop. What? What is she, some great big fat person? <laughs> yes. Dude, I like yeah. how she even had the chair to help her and was still like, nope. Uh, yes, she's rather large, sir. Yes, indeed. All right. Smoke them if you got them time. Remember we called Gus Johnson vaping, Luke? Introducing you to Dolphins coach Mike McDaniel. Where was he this this past weekend? Are they already eliminated? It was last weekend. Ooh, oh, did you see was, that? Oh, he's dude. He might be puffing on that marijuana. You think he's getting high as balls during that game? I hope. I hope that would explain the uh, offensive scheme, right? I don't even know. Well, I don't know. You know, you think I watch American football, Luke? I watched five minutes of American football this weekend. I'm falling off the cliff. All I do is watch fights, Luke, and listen to seventies records. I'm the same yeah. Way. All right. Uh, hey, great gift idea for Tukey, by the way. Your thoughts if 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 Uncle Brother, or I'm sorry, Uncle Gringo drops this off, Luke. My, my first vape, <laughs> dude. I told you I haven't vaped in a while. Aren't you proud of me, man? Like I'm, it's, it's just a struggle, dude. I'm I'm having a hard time with it. But all right, well, the next time I see you, day Luke, day. I guess that's I guess the next time I see you might be London. Here's what I plan on doing to your hotel room because we got a lot of UK fans that are like, uh, I'm holding, I'm packing heat. We're ready for you. Not that kind of heat. Holy Jesus. Holy Jesus. Is this heaven? That's a lot of product in there. That is Is, a lot. Is that heaven? (laughs) It can't be because there's juggalos, but other than that. Look at all the clouds, Luke. Yeah, it looks very heavenly in there. Wow. BC, is this what it's like to walk into uh, High Rollers BJJ? (laughs) Very similar. Do you think you you could actually stand up after like 10 minutes in there? I hope not. <laughs> All right, hey, let's. If we can't get that many product or friends, we can fo- we can form a much uh, smaller circle here. Let's check out these guys. <laughs> why, why you know, I would have so much more respect for <laughs> death cults if this is the way they went. You know. <laughs> Oh, that, yeah, that guy! Look guy at that guy's getting early. hammered out. Yeah, that guy can't. That guy can't swim in the in these type of waters. Uh, finally, even Grammy is Granny is using Luke, of course, to help her glaucoma. Granny getting high as, as shit. oh whoa! So sorry, sorry. First we got this lady. I forgot. I I read out a circle. She looks like a NASA scientist. Apparently, Granny's going to be in next week's batch. Yeah, Luke. This this spring breaker is uh, wow. Yeah, right. Woo. She she just looks like she's a you know five beta kappa at uh, <clears throat> Carnegie Mellon. And we got one more for you. This is all the shit I got this week, Luke. Enjoy it. One more for you. You fucking <laughs> dumb piece of shit. <laughs> Fuck you. Karma. All right, that's uh, that's fucking it. Fucking yeah. By the way, BC, he's white. I can't believe it. Seems so out of character, you know. Uh, that's your feces from BC's for the week, but uh, hey, yeah, we I, should remind folks we didn't say at the top of the show. Dan Hardy's joining us at our yeah, live show, big. February eighth. May- February eighth. It's going to be BC, LT, and DH. Dan Hardy's going to be their designated hitter. So uh, oh, yeah. come see us. Get your tickets. A you proper can see the- outlaw. Yeah, proper outlaw. Also, BC, we have to figure out our drinking plans because I know we're going to have to. But I don't know what we're gonna do yet, so we. Have to I don't think we can plans. drink on stage. I don't know. We got to talk to. We got to talk to. No, no, no. I don't mean so much there. I just mean like while we're in London, kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but look, there's going to be um, there's going to be even more 
Dan Hardy's just the beginning. We're gonna we're gonna release more names in the future, and uh, yes, it's true. We're we're building this thing steady as she goes. But we said it before. We'll say it once more. Uh, QR code in the bottom of the screen, guys. The tickets are running low. Uh, they are very happy. Everyone's very happy right now. We have sold a lot of these, and that's because of you guys being so passionate. Whether you live down the road there in the King's uh, Place, King's Court area of London, or whether you're like the Paquettes and you're like. Nova Scotia, goodbye. We're coming. We're coming on, okay? Uh, or you're, you know, Yuri Prohatska. I'm coming. <laughs> I'm coming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was more Arnold than Yuri, though. Uh, David Appleton's going to be there. All, all, all our people are going to be there. If you got a chance to do it, folks, I think you should, okay? Big time fun interviews. Uh, the MK fool, you know, foolery and fun and games that you expect. Uh, it's going to be a fun 90 minutes of your life. And, you know, maybe we'll all go out for a pint after Luke, unless we find these people to be extra creepy. And then we'll go hide in our hotel room like normal. No, then they're just going to follow you home. Like the Pied Piper of fucking weirdos that you are. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go the other way. So it's going to be fun. Uh, and then of course, morningcombat.store. We've got, I think, some UK merch on there, as well as uh, some other stuff we're going to be putting up there pretty soon. So go take a look at their morningcombat.store or reach the show. It's morningcombat at gmail.com for Wednesday's fan subs, Friday's dead wrong. And then last but not least, of course, showtime.com, 30 day free trial. Like it, you can keep it. If not, and of course, today is the last day. You can try it for six months, three ninety nine a month for your first six months. Deals don't come much better than this, folks. This is the time to get on it. Where you can hear BC on Showbox, you can get yeah. Bellator MMA, and then regular Showtime Championship Boxing. So, a lot of good stuff. BC, any final thoughts where we exit today's show? Yeah, our new our new GTA shirt, MK GTA, on our MorningCombat.store website. It's one of RJ's greatest. So check that out right now. You may find yourself wearing it pretty soon. But no, thanks to uh, Long Island Luke Gaff, Mikey Morms behind the scenes. Uh, we love you guys. And, uh, you know, these people that watch us, Luke, it's, you know, sometimes you got to pinch yourself. Today was episode 400. We didn't have a big, you know, a big bouquet of flowers for our fans. We just gave it to them like they would expect normally. Only this time it was two and a half hours. But I just want you folks to know, like, every milestone matters to us. This has been a this has been the craziest run. I hope it lasts. Right. I hope yeah. it lasts, Luke. But even if I hate you tomorrow, I've had fun. Same. Uh, but I am tired of doing the show for today, so let's call it one. All right. For Malka, for Showtime, for CBS Sports, that's Brian Campbell. Get your tickets February 8th. I'm Luke Thomas. Until Wednesday, may all of your gains be loyal.